Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This episode of Bend the Knee is brought to you by Mr. Jamie of the White Owl. We read and we know things. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra, the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of uh, Ice and Fire book club. We've got a good one for you today. Mm-hmm. We are so amped for this. Uh, we're, we're finally there. We're talking today about um, Aegon's Conquest and then uh, John 2, Chapter 10 in the Game of Thrones. So um, really could not be more excited for this. We've done a lot of research and there's more research to be done. Yeah, it's actually. a lot. This is yeah, a very, very big thing. But uh, first, Ezra, I thought we should read a correction. Yeah. We ask you guys to, uh, to correct us on anything. And we got one from Robert H. Uh, sent us an email. Hey, guys, I noticed several times in the last Follow-Up Friday podcast, you guys called the House of Black and White the House of Undying. The latter is the Warlock's Palace in Karth, where... Um, Payette Pri tries to kill Danny and steal her dragons. The House of Black and White is where the faceless men conduct their practices and worship. I hate to be the actually guy, but I wanted to clear that up. Thanks, guys. Love hearing your podcast so far. Looking forward to getting more involved as I have a few theories I would love to share. Good. And that's oh, good. and he says Sir Huck of, and then he leaves it blank. I'll leave that a mystery for now. Okay. okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, no, as soon as Matt said that, actually, I think after we finished recording or whatever, like the second time, because I know I said it once, mm-hmm. and then I said it a second time, and I literally start to like. Sometimes, like mid show, we will like go, like I'm like googling, I'm like wait a second, what did I just say? And I like start to kind of Google it or whatever, and I was like, that is not right. What am I saying? Uh, so, anyways, super. And those are, you know, the the cool thing about they're those both, episodes. They're both in, oh yeah, yeah. Well, just that they're really off the cuff. You yeah. know what I mean? So I normally don't have a computer in front of me. We come home from work and we're just plowing into it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. We really yeah, thanks for that, that correction. That's a that's a very good <clears throat> point here. So well, and like like this. I mean, this uh, Aegon's conquest. I mean, yeah, there's like, probably be it might be some errors in this one. Yeah, I mean, just because you know, or there's more connections we could have made to current day, you know, houses and characters, but um, that in in and of itself, that's going to be a, another follow up. I mean, this mm-hmm. is we almost should have done this in two parts, mm-hmm. but. We're um, thinking about it, but yeah, but we, we'll come back to well, it again. The maybe. next, the next chat. So the next chapter in uh, the world of ice and fire is specifically just Aegon the first, I believe. Yep. So mm-hmm. you're gonna, we're gonna 
break it down further. We'll still have those there. players. This yeah. is kind of this is kind of just the over. And normally, when we originally started this, we were just going to do like brief summaries of the world of Ice and Fire. <laughs> yeah. But it's just so there's so much into it, and it's so important. Yeah. And um, obviously, our listeners really seem to like it because it Absolutely. seems like this is what maybe it's because the chapters themselves have been kind of short because it's just getting going. Right. But. Um, this is what you guys have been ask, like asking for and not like mm-hmm. asking us questions and theories about. So we're going to just dive deeper and deeper into it. So, yeah, because I think most people have read, you know, the the series has been out for, you know, right, while. seen the show. You, yeah. You know, and, the general story. And so um, diving into World of Ice and Fire is uh, is a hell of a lot of fun. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's let's uh, real quick. Just a couple uh, updates here. Um, if you would like to um, provide us with your um, your vows, if you've taken the black. Uh, you can call in and do that or, you know, send us a voice memo if you'd like to. Um, but if you want to call or any questions, anything you guys have, the number is 614-547-2350. Uh, give us a ring. Even for follow-up Fridays, we'll play those and uh, and kind of talk through your guys' questions and, and what have you. Uh, also, send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. Just want to get that out in the front. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's go ahead and head over to the small council. This is where we do... Uh, scripted news from the HBO show, um, and anything going on on not a blog girl's yep. thing, but real quick, any updates on life, Sir Ezra? <clears throat> well, uh, Sir Matt, uh, we're busy. We are. We're busy. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're deep in research, still doing, working on some of our theories. Uh, it takes a while to put it some does. of that stuff together. So, uh, that's really what I've been working on. Got a couple other side we, projects lot of, yeah. on, but but for the most part, just busy, man. Yep. I mean, trying to get into summer here, um, spring, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but just want to get to my a wish, for, a wish for spring. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so, so not much. What about you, though? Oh, you know, uh, same thing. A lot of side projects, um, some potential life kind of changing, mm-hmm. uh, new directions for me. Hopefully, coming soon. Maybe going to conquer a uh, different region of the world. Wow. So. <clears throat> I've got, you know, I'm going to call, you know, trying to rally some bannermen and, right. um, p- p- you know, plan on marching westward. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's kind that of, that is exciting. I'm excited because, yeah. uh, I will answer the call. Sir mm-hmm. Matt. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that's what's going on there, but all right, let's go ahead and dive into some show news and things like that. So, um, I believe this was kind of, he, Ger had kind of mentioned this on not a blog before, and things like that. And sometimes when I just pull kind of show news, this I just find it, you know, it can be from these like totally random clickbait news websites. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. But so one of the things I found two things this week I found kind of interesting. Uh, Gurr has said he does, he no longer wants to read free, um, as he calls them, Winds of Winter chapters, which he has done at events and things like that because um, he says, You're not getting any more sneak peeks at Winds of Winter, even if you're royalty. Um, Gurr's been pretty generous with sample chapters from Winds of Winter. Um, when he talked about Fire and Blood, some fans had asked for some more uh, sample chapters from Winds of Winter, and he responded, um, I don't know the author wrote, I think I've probably released too many sample chapters already, putting them all together, and what, there are probably more than 100 pages. He's always enjoyed reading sample chapters at conventions, but he said he's been dinged for the practice in the past, and... Um, He's been criticized in some of his books um, containing saying it's old, you know, retread materials in the minds of some, what should have been brand new reading experience became old and familiar. It is not worth it putting up sample chapters and giving 
readings if it means I will, it will come back to bite me in the ass when the book is finally published. Hmm. Uh, and he's specifically there talking about how that that was a reference to the Book of Swords, mm-hmm. where he has a, a you know kind of sample or it's material, but it's kind of drawn from other things. And he'd, right. he'd read it and things in the past and kind of expanded upon it. And so people had said that that. Well, they were yeah they're disappointed. They were expecting that to be new stuff on Sons of the Dragon, and it was really he had actually read it almost well some of it verbatim, right? Yeah. Um, and I think so. I think I think that's also maybe similar with if you, those old novellas he did, mm-hmm. like the the Neris one, the Queen of Dragons or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And if you, I actually found a PDF of that online, and I was I was like skimming through it, and I was like, wow, this just looks like all the Daenerys chapters from the first book, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it is, and right. stuff like that. So, but anyway, that was like in the '90s, and the internet didn't really exist like it does today so right yep so okay so then some other quick news um i guess here wilf scolding who is an actor who played rhaegar targaryen yeah had posted a picture of just like him on instagram outside a hotel in belfast yeah on instagram (laughs) and then he kind of like uh, immediately like took it down a couple hours later but of course people were retweeting it and stuff like that so he is the he plays he played Rhaegar Targaryen in like the one scene we saw. And mm-hmm. so this hotel is where like a lot of the actors who stay in those filming locations are kind of known to stay. So everyone's theorizing that we were going to, maybe we'll get a Rhaegar flashback scene, perhaps turning at Heron Hall right. or something like that. Well, what's neat about that is it, like you said, it's the same, it's the younger version of Rhaegar, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be a flashback of, of some kind, but I wonder, you know, if all those, those theories are true <laughs> and, and you know, who he might be, you know, side by side acting with, you know. Yeah. So, or you know, uh, the sequence of events, the shot, you know, is it is, is it old Rhaegar reflecting on younger self? You know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's possible. So. so okay, all right. So this week we're going to do the reread <clears throat> first because it's really kind of short, and that way for the for those of you who specifically come to us for the reread can get that, and then we will dive into the probably hour to two hour long discussion of Aegon's conquest. Yeah, so which one we're doing? Which first? The re the John chapter. Oh, we're doing that first. first. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Gotta switch gears then a little bit. Oh, sorry. Um, so we're gonna jump into the reread here. Um, in recap, so uh, chapter nine, Tyrion. Um, the horrors were wailing when Tyrion Lannister announced his intention to go north to the Wall. Tyrion discusses the conditions or the condition of Bran Stark uh, with his family. So. You know, he ends up slapping jo- um, Joffrey and telling him to go, you know, pay his uh, respects and uh, talks with his siblings. And it's kind of this. Um, yeah, wonder what side you're on. Exactly. Real interested in seeing uh, what may be, you know, happening with um, with young Bran Stark. So mm-hmm. um, so there's our recap. Do we, do we have any comments on the last um, chapter? Not really. I, I think we kind of did. That's all in follow up Friday yeah. stuff, really. So it's where we, we used to kind of mention a few things here, but I think. It, basically, if something were to happen after Follow Up Friday, like Saturday and Sunday, uh, we might include that in here. But for the most part, if you guys leave us comments up through Thursday on the on the new episode, that gets taken care of in Follow Up Friday. Yeah, so which is cool. And we do have one Raven that we'll read at the end of this at the end of this podcast that pertains to the coming up chapter. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So this uh, chapter, John. Um, this is John two, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I noticed that real, real quick about yeah. that. 
Is there a version of the books? I don't know. Perhaps people can tell us because, or do people just manually go in when they reference things as like John two, John three, whatever, because the book, the version I have just, it just says John. John. Right. Is that just something that people people just counted? Okay. Yeah. Just the number of point of views. I've just been going in and adding like John two, John. Yeah. yeah, Just mark. I just want to know the proper way to reference that because then I've also seen Mm-hmm. When we get into the later books, some people will say like John 73 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then some people also say like, well, John won in a dance with dragons or it's, whatever. I do it that way. I, I like to look at like the John point of view in like per the book. I'll mention the book, book. Okay. And then, yeah, I just, you know, I just, so we should actually, as we, we go should. forward, that's how we'll yeah. probably do it. Like, okay, this is John. Let us know. Yeah. If we should change in the comments. That. Yeah what the proper formatting is right. of, of these chapters. Right. I think most people, you know, you see like Alt-Shift-X and some of those guys, like when they do it, they always put the abbreviated book title and okay. then they'll put the yeah. characters, per, the POV character and then a number associated okay. with it. Yeah. Because <clears throat> it, can it can get super confusing. It can get super confusing. I'm <laughs> so, confused already. I know. Yeah, we start rolling. <laughs> only on, on John too. Two. So. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so in this chapter, basically, a uh, quick summary here. Also, don't forget you can provide these, uh, any of our patrons uh, can provide the summary, uh, write it or read it, whatever you'd like to do, make them funny. Uh, thanks again, Tiffany, uh, for pro- providing that a couple weeks ago. Um, John is about to depart for the wall with mm-hmm. his uncle, um, um, Benjamin. Benjamin, thank you. And <clears throat> he has to say goodbye to his brother. And he, he, he walks up to... Um, he climbs the stairs um, to say his final goodbyes to Bran, uh, and he is met with Catelyn mm-hmm. uh, Stark. And it is very awkward, and uh, he is able to say his goodbyes, um, and he has a, a little bit of a, it's a little edgy confrontational uh, meeting right. between Catelyn and John. So there's your summary. Uh, so I have some of these details, though. So... Um, what, what, did you have like a big takeaway from this or anything that was super Yeah, so both of mine are kind of in the second part of this chapter. Now, this chapter is like five pages. It's re- it's really, really short. Um, so after John meets with Catelyn is where he then goes and gives Arya her own needle, I mm-hmm. suppose, is kind of the mm-hmm. second part. But uh, of the first part... Um, you know, Catelyn is, and we see this later in Catelyn's, I think it's her POV chapter where she's with Bran and, um, you know, she's like trying to nurse him back to health. And I believe it's where the, 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 the assassin comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, in you, in that chapter, you get a lot of like Maester Lewin and Rob and people coming saying like, Hey, it's okay. You know, cause I believe Rob is standing there and then they see a fire and then the, he leaves and then that's when she's attacked and the guy's like, you're not supposed to be here. Um, so if you go, if having read that chapter and then coming back to this one, you really see just how, how kind of crazy she is about mm-hmm. Brand and rightfully so. And maybe that's even more so why she's so harsh to John in this, in this chapter, when you get to see her inside look as to how she's just like, she's once she's going to stay with him like brand day and night. Cause brands her special boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, my, my big, uh, yeah, I like that. It's yeah, this, my big takeaway was the fact that she, um, for once finally called him John. Yeah. And he says, yes. And she says, it should have been you. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And, 
that that to me just sort of shows you again getting back to Lady Stoneheart what she is willing <laughs> Here to we do go again. you know she is willing she is ruthless when it comes to you know um like you've said it before, family, duty, honor, you mm-hmm. know, like what she's willing to sacrifice, who she's willing to sacrifice and the extent to which she's willing to go to protect her family. Yeah. Um, it's pretty extreme. It tells yeah. you a lot about her. Now, here we go. So I have, I have this section highlighted. Uh-huh. Now we're about to get down as, as Lord Adam Parker told me on the Facebook, Facebook the other day, mm-hmm. he loves it when we go down these rabbit holes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I have okay. kind of a rabbit hole here for us for this first part of this chapter. Okay. I wanted him to stay here with me, Lady Stark said softly. John watched her wary. She was not even looking at him, she was talking to him. But for a part of it, uh, for, but for a part of her, it was as though he was not even in the room. I prayed for it, she said dully. He was my special boy. I, wanted, I went to the sept and prayed seven times to the seven faces of God, of God that Ned would change his mind and leave him here with me. Sometimes prayers are answered. Yeah, and then there is a chapter. I believe it's in a Clash of Kings, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, where she's talking to I can't remember. I can't remember who she's talking to, but she's talking about how when John was a baby and sick, and she mm-hmm. was praying, right? That originally she originally she had kind of prayed that they would just take John away, right? Just take just take him away. <clears throat> but then he got sick, and she kind of changed her mind, so she prayed that he would live, right? Now this hasn't happened in the books yet, but it has happened in the show, yeah. You have Melisandre, who kind of goes through the whole ordeal with Stannis, where she thinks he's the Lord of Light, kind of realizes he's not, and she's beginning to kind of question R'hllor and like mm-hmm, her faith. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so then you have Melisandre come in, pray for John, mm-hmm. and you know she's even like, I don't know if I can do it because this is after she's like burned Shireen, right? But yes. then, yeah, the prayers again are answered. They're answered. Yeah. So uh, just <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, very... is this is this acre foreshadowing maybe to that, right. or is there something again even further down the line that we haven't seen yet? Yeah, because it is or kind is of this just a weird connection I'm making to something. No, like it's that. it's it's a subtle reference right to prayers being answered right, mm-hmm. and you know I'm, I believe I'm guessing that she was praying to the seven originally when she when she yeah. prayed that um, you know that that John, I mean. I don't know. Did she, did she pray that he would be taken away, or did she just say she wished he would be taken away? Maybe and she then said he, she, and, and then and then uh, yeah, look that up for a sec because th- because then he gets sick, right? Right. Um, and then she does pray to the gods to let him live, mm-hmm. you know. And she was uh, it's almost like one of those things where I think she does actually pray that mm-hmm. they that they that the boy be taken away that she just couldn't bear, you know. Okay, uh, I looked it up yeah. here. So that scene is actually exclusive to the show. That that is doesn't it? that doesn't happen in the books. It doesn't happen in the books. Yeah. Okay. Man, that's pretty epic, though. That's a pretty cool, like, yeah. You know, because I mean, here she is just cold-hearted in right. this. I mean, she's just like, that's weird. Then that's that's crazy. I, I kind of like the way the show does it. Then I know. See, that's that's one thing when you get I, into I the, like when, that. See, that's where when the other week when we had been talk we had been talking about the conversation about like Robert and. Cersei having that conversation about perhaps her first kid. That, right. That whole conversation doesn't even happen in the right in the in the books. Yeah, and, and you're yeah you're right. But it, but isn't it awesome? Yeah, that's one thing. It's I, one of those things like the yeah. showisms, if you want to call them movieisms, right. like are super. Like those are neat. I like yeah. those those additions. But uh, yeah, because sometimes I, sometimes I feel like it kind of 
now obviously there's stuff that the show does way later like not including lady stoneheart i mean stuff where it's just it's just different right yeah but a lot of this other stuff i feel like sometimes i kind of i kind of like because it adds depth like extra stuff that happens only in the show right where mm-hmm. it's more of like it's more of a scene as like well the show once needs to build this character mm-hmm. that way and so i don't know i kind of Oh, you're right. I kind of like it. Yeah, because <clears throat> I was wondering. I was struggling with with what you said there about um, about Catelyn. You yeah. know, the, her prayers. Because I was like, doesn't that doesn't that happen right here with like like when did that happen in the show? I think I, I that might have been actually earlier. I, I thought it was like right around this time. Um, I don't know. I can't remember. But any, anywho, doesn't matter. Um, it's neat, and I it's one of those things where. You know, that's what you want. You want the show to kind I feel of improve like, I, I upon. Think, yeah, I think when it happens in the show, I I, can't, I almost feel like she's taught. I feel like it's when she goes down to meet with Renly. And remember, like, because then, like, the they do the black magic. Because I believe Catelyn's standing right there when the black magic takes Renly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Or she's like, or Brienne is there. Brienne of Tarth is there. Both, maybe yep. Catelyn was there or something. Because cause it, it, she's saying that, that, and then she says, like, who was the baby you prayed for? And she says, Jon Snow. And then it switches and shows mm-hmm. John at the wall or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyways, anyway, you know, right the chapter, yeah. um, <clears throat> in this one, just cold as all get out. And, and that's a neat little connection about uh, prayers being answered, but she is, you know, I mean, talk about, I mean, he just comes upstairs to, I'm sure he did. He know Catelyn was up, up here. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. And so he's got to go up and, and sort of say goodbye to, you know, his brother. And <clears throat> I think he's, that's, uh, good for him and like staying and like kind of putting his foot down and, and saying, you know, you call know, the you, guards, call them. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say goodbye to my, to my brother, you yeah. know? I mean, yeah. And then right after, right after where Catelyn says prayers are answered, John says, John didn't know what to say. He's, uh, it wasn't your fault. He managed after an awkward silence, her eyes found him. They were full of poison. Mm-hmm. I need none of your absolution bastard. Yeah. And then, and then this is where, he basically leaves, and she says it should have been you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's a heartfelt little moment where he he goes over and he's he's talking to, you know, um, his younger brother and uh, and you know, just it's kind of it's just you would think in this moment I, I'm trying to get inside of her head why, you know, she won't why is this making her she's just angry in general she's angry yeah and so <clears throat> you know I mean maybe if it would have been like a him saying goodbye to go to the wall, she'd probably been like, okay, cool, it's fine. And, and Saul, like, had a soft, but she's just really well, she upset. Had, this is her favorite son. You this, know? this is this is her favorite son. And Ned has been sent to, you know, Ned's been sent to... Mm-hmm. King's Landing. King's Landing. And um, here's another thing where... Here's another difference. Now, this is a flat-out difference in the show and the book. In the show, and we're going to be doing our, uh, by the way, our show book mm-hmm. comparison uh, the, for the Patreon people. I believe uh, this weekend is when it's mm-hmm. going to go up. Yep. Um, in the show, in the, where Ned, it's like chapter, whatever, chapter two, Catelyn, right? So then the show, Ned is saying, um, or in the book, excuse me, Ned's like, I don't want to go. I'll refuse him. And Catelyn's saying, no, you have to. Well, it's the total opposite in the show. In the show, Catelyn's like, I don't want him to take you. I don't yeah. want, yeah. Right. And so that's where you kind of, that, Another thing where you see that kind of idea of just how much fa- it's family first, right. family, duty, honor. So it could be a part of that too. That like is that she's losing Bran and Arya and you know mm-hmm. Sansa and Ned. She's losing oh, yeah. half of her family. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. 
yeah. So it's a tough little situation. Uh, it's neat here are some of the goodbyes though, you know, because mm-hmm. this is this is a big, like it's a small chapter, but these goodbye chapters, it's like, right. This is the last word some of them speak to one another. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So when he's talking, he comes back. He comes out of the um, after seeing Bran. He's he's now out in the yard and he sees Rob um, shouting commands, etc. Yeah. And he says, you know, Uncle Benjamin's been looking for you. He wanted to leave about an hour ago. And John's just like, it's it's harder than I thought, you know, right. to, to leave. Um, or to say goodbye. And Rob says the same thing. And he says, did you see him? John nodded, uh, not trusting himself to speak. He's not going to die, Rob said. I know it. And then, uh, this is great, John. You Starks are hard to kill. So um, Now, here we go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, what? Rabbit hole? Yeah, here we, here we go. Down, yeah. uh, down another rabbit hole here. You Starks are hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Is this... Now, is this because he's a bastard and he's trying to say it? But I feel like John's relationship with Rob is a lot closer. Yeah. So, I, so, yeah. so I don't know if John... It's Gur foreshadowing. Well, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, a, a Targaryen saying that a Stark is hard to kill, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, he's uh, half, he's half, he's half Targaryen, half just, Stark. Just playing, yeah. Theoretically. Right. Yeah, we don't At know. At least in I the mean, show. I don't, you know, anymore, I'm really starting to kind of debate. Right. You know, R plus L equals J, just so we're clear. Um, so, anywho, you know, they're saying their they're, they're goodbyes. He's like, there's a few more things. He needs to speak to Arya, as, mm-hmm. as you said. So, um, let's see. Oh, this is neat. You know, Rob, you knew something was wrong. Right. Um, my mother. My mother. She was very kind. John told him. Um, you know, Rob is kind of relieved. Good. You know, he smiled. The next time I see you, uh, you'll be in all black. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's always my color. It was always my color. How long do you think it'll be? Um, or how do you think it'll be? You know? Yeah. So let's see. Then they move on. Say their farewells. They hug. Um, you know, tells him to take care. So take care of Bran. And then he makes his way over to Arya. And this is a fun little scene. Mm-hmm. You got anything from this uh, second? Uh, second yeah. Um, Arya was in her room packing a polished ironwood chest. Yeah. Little connection. The Ironwoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go play the Game of Thrones Telltale game. Iron from Ice. <laughs> House Forster. House Forster. Yeah. Yeah. Chess was bigger than she was. Nymeria was helping. Arya would only have to point, and the wolf would bound across the room, snatch up some uh, wisp of silk in her jaws, and fetch it back. But when she smelled ghost, she sat down on her haunches and yelped at him. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a connection between some of the wolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, later we get a lot of the Summer and Shaggy Dog kind of playing together and shaggy dog's just like all he's like super wild he's all over the place he's like injuring people you know um later i believe when like when they're pl- uh i believe it's in it's in a clash of kings where they're kind of bran and rickon are playing with the um the phrase that are hanging out right mm-hmm. up there and then like yeah. you know shaggy and shaggy dog injures maester lewin right all mm-hmm. this stuff but here you have nymeria who immediately i think kind of like is submissive to ghost yes. yeah mm-hmm for sure. I think the rest of them might have been as well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It um Grey Wind maybe not, but uh yeah, Summer and Shaggy Dog. I that just they seem to kinda know, don't they? That ghost is like you don't mess with him. Top dog, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, top top direwolf. Um yeah, they do. And it's just the, the it's neat the connection that they have. They kind of embody, you know, what they're um, mm-hmm. Owner, right? Who they're, they're they're Stark, you know? Right. 
or you know that ghost is even more powerful because he's being warged by blood raven uh i mean Mm -hmm. let's just yeah let's just (laughs) rabbit hole it again yeah i know um so nymeria is helping her you know put her clothes away um septim ordain you know had said like gotta redo it again she's Mm -hmm. just like it's this it's fun it's fun to kind of read Arya's. you know she just can't do anything right you know she's not meant to be a little you know um uh, like a lady or a you know princess of any kind or what have you mm-hmm. so uh they're packing up and um so um he has a present her face lit up you could call it that close the door uh nymeria here guard <laughs> mm-hmm. she left the wolf there to warn of intruders and close the door by then john had pulled off the rags he'd wrapped it in and he held it out to her aria's eyes went wide um dark eyes Dark eyes like his. He just keeps mentioning that, you know? I know, the eye color. Right? It's, you know. Yeah. Um, a sword, she said, in a small hushed breath. And, you know, they, they pull it out and he kind of goes over, um, you know, that it's it's not a toy. And he's, she needs to be careful with it. Um, you know, they make a couple of jokes about the sword's edge and, and things. Um, it's skinny like she mm-hmm. is, you know. So, just neat. It's a good gesture by, you know, her half-brother mm-hmm. slash... Cousin. cousin, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know that uh, you know this is this is her sword, and um, so she's she has to she has to name it though, doesn't she? I think that's that was one of my that, other. Yeah. My, this is like my second major Connection. takeaway was that these swords have names, you mm-hmm. know, and um, what could the, I mean? Just how important it is that she gives it a name and that it's hers, you know. Um, and it's something that she identifies with later. Like when mm-hmm. she starts to kind of lose her identity or has to forsake who she is, mm-hmm. it's something that really means a lot to her. Uh, it's this token that sort of, right. I don't know, brings her back to who, uh, you know, yeah. and there's, she is. And, and so that we can, I have one thing, but we can kind of skip and come back to it because mm-hmm. it focuses a little more, I guess on Aria here. But um, so uh, they're talking, John says like, you'll find someone to practice with. Um, you know, until you find a partner, just watch how they fight in the yard, run, hide, make yourself strong and whatever. Hold on. Run and hide. Mm-hmm. Which again. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's yep. basically the uh, that's basically Aria, the entire second book. Uh-huh. Um, Aria knew what was coming next. They said it together. Don't tell Sansa. Right. And then they have another thing like that where they're talking about um, every good sword has a name. Can you guess what it is? It's your favorite thing. So John names her sword. Mm hmm. But I think he kind of lets her name it, but she like kind of goes with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he, they kind of know. Uh, Arya seemed puzzled at first, and then they said it together. Needle. Um, so, yeah, just kind <laughs> of interesting here. So Yeah, that is awesome. It's just a really good back and forth. Shows how much they really, you know, um, get along, and, and he's it's just a nice sort of farewell. So, you know, I can't, I can't wait to see, mm-hmm. hopefully, their reunion yeah. in the book. Yeah. Um, so I will say I I watched a video I believe it's called like Scalagram. It's based this guy I've referenced him before. He does I think he's like the biggest on YouTube who does this where he just like breaks down like medieval weapons and all of these kinds of things. And um, there he does one video on like the weapons of Game of Thrones and like would they you know do they make sense? And he's like yeah for the most part a lot of it makes sense. Like long claw is just you know a sword with a pommel, so there's really nothing because a lot of these times you'll see fantasy weapons which are just like super ridiculous but game of thrones is, keeps them pretty yeah. and so he, he's talking when he talks about needle he's like you know needle is more of like a rapier type of weapon mm-hmm. where like it really is just you really would just use it for stabbing um like slicing it probably would do little to no damage because it's so thin right and so 
that is kind of that is it's just interesting that that like that is it's not just like a sword mm-hmm. right it is specifically kind of like a rapier so she the only thing she could really do is stab people well and it's neat that the first sword of bravos is the, the way in which he guides and instructs her oh is totally meant to be that yeah. type of sword play you yeah know? speaking speaking of so, which let yeah. me just pull up my line uh-huh. here Girls don't shave, Arya said. Maybe they should. Have you ever seen the Septus legs? She <laughs> giggled at him. It's so skinny. So are you, John told her. I had Mick and make this special. The Bravos use swords like this in Pinto and Mur and the other free cities. It won't hack a man's head off, but you can poke him full of holes if you're fast enough. Mm-hmm. So immediately, mm-hmm. in yep. this first Arya chapter, we're already hearing about Bravos yep. and the free cities. And then, of course, later, Arya practices with Jack and... Uh, I mean, uh, Sirio Pharrell, right. mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> who yep. is from Bravos, and then she meets Jack and Hagar, Bravos, and the Free Cities, where she, you know, later trains at the House of Black and White. There you go. And so it's <laughs> just, you know, this foreshadowing we get here in these yeah. little lines. I know it's crazy. It's it's just laced with all sorts of you know connections to later on and stuff. So when you go back and look at it, it's just like wow, mm-hmm. it's 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 really cool. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention as we wrap this up here. I'm, I've always been a big fan of Arya, and I know some people don't like her, like Sir Matt. Um, it's not. I actually, I like her a lot more in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, like re, I was so I've been rewatching a lot of just clips from the show. Yeah, and this is something we kind of talked about before. I believe it was on a follow up Friday or a Raven in that in season seven, the last season when everyone's mm-hmm. coming together, it just seems awkward. Yeah, and so I, I like Arya in the show. But man, some of those scenes in the last season were so awkward. Sure, and mm-hmm. I so I think it's just lately my it's just been like a bad taste. I don't know. Yeah, you just didn't like the, the way it Aria was, Sansa yeah. stuff. But I think going back to it, I've come back off of it a little bit because I I almost feel like maybe that because it happens much more. And some people were saying, hey, like, and I believe we even kind of referenced this too, is that none of these actors ever really work together. Sure. But I think I also have a feeling that. Just having like rewatched a lot of that season, I'm if I'm had to guess, I'm gonna guess that some of the show creator, like when they're doing the script reads and stuff, initially they were kind of like the tone of this season should be, we have all of these totally different mm-hmm. clashing, like mm-hmm. personalities and people coming together. It should feel awkward. Yep, and I was gonna say that. So like they were not sisters that truly like you know they hadn't. They didn't like each other for, as kids, and then they they go they loved off. each other, but not like they hadn't yeah. grown to be best friends. They yet. go off on totally different. I mean, t- totally different. Right. Totally different things. Right. And so yeah, so I think that maybe that's why I just uh, yeah some of that was maybe a little bit intentional. I think the reason I've always liked Arya from the get go though is like this. Uh, where's the line here where she like showers him with like kisses and she's just like hugging him. She's so mm-hmm. you know just loves John and so like that immediately I was like well there's my like second favorite character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because she loves Arya's him a lot that of much. People's first favorite character. Yeah, I know she, she's so cool. I mean, she's cool, you know, and she's this warrior, you know, princess, like warrior lady. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's cool. So I don't know. Um, just wanted to kind of throw that out. That's why I've always really kind of liked her. Yeah. Just because she's, of yeah. her, her association with John. The, the so. thing, the thing about it is that there's just so many good characters. Yeah. That like, I just, you know, she gets kind of, just buried in the list of characters that I, I like. So yeah, it's yeah. not like I, she's, she's not my least favorite. No. Yeah, yeah. 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 She's just not in my top five. Right. Or yeah. 10 or yeah, 15. In, in, in or, her, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Her, it's just interesting. Her story arc is, is interesting. It feels really different. It just 
it's different. So, yeah. Anywho, um, it helps us explore Esso, so and it brings all that you mm-hmm. know, free city piece back into it with with Daenerys as well. So, yeah. okay, I think that's it. Um, you know, actually, our cool connections this week are really tied to the um, World of Ice and Fire, uh, yeah. Aegon's Conquest. So mm-hmm. we'll kind of save that, and uh, we're going to dive into the Maester study. Yeah, here we go. Hey, many Christmas. Okay, so. I think one of the first things I wanted to read from this, and we're going to, this is again, kind of a summary with maybe some stopping points where we will, you know, talk about what we liked about it, give a little commentary here. But the first thing I wanted to read was, I think this is directly from the book, um, at its apex, uh, Valeria was the greatest city in the known world, the center of civilization. Within its shining walls, two score rival houses vied for power and glory in court and council rising and falling in an endless, subtle, oft savage struggle for dominance. Some saw the leaving as cowardice. Now, that piece is talking about, um, I just kind of threw that mark in there so I didn't forget right. this, the Targaryen house wasn't really one of the um, you know, the top-tier oh, absolutely. Know, houses. It was still an upper, I would call it, an upper yeah. to mid-tiered, you know, tiered, like, not even really. Well, yeah, the Targaryens house, were you know? far from the most powerful of dragon lords. And their rivals saw their flight to Dragonstone as an act of surrender. Right. Yeah. And almost called them kind of like, you know, yeah. saw it as kind of cowardly. Right. Um, but um, is it, how do you say his name? Anir? Anir, yeah. Anir's maiden daughter. Um, uh, uh, Danies. Danies, yeah. I think. Uh, known forever afterward as Danies the Dreamer, had foreseen the destruction of Valyria by fire. And when the doom came 12 years later, the Targaryens were the only dragon lords to survive. So again, it was neat. They are dragon lords, you know, and uh, so, yeah, they survive because of this. And we see this in the Dunkin' Egg series, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, green dreams, mm-hmm. you know, and the things that they foresee that, that may come to pass. Uh, and some of them seem to have more, um, I think in the Dunkin' Egg series, you know, Egg's brother was drowning his dreams and a lot of like, I think his recall of what was happening was all drowned by, you know, all the alcohol and stuff he was drinking. Right, absolutely. So I think he might have had clearer visions, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to know. It was a burden and a curse, right? Whereas like it sounds like if you weren't trying to um, get rid of that air quote here, gift, then if you're like Blood Raven and you're like, you know, Danny's the Dreamer, then you maybe really can foresee uh, some events to come. So, uh, clearly she did, and they, you know, um, took off out of there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they took their whole household, everything, you know, and kind of got out of there. So, anyways, I thought that was kind of neat just to mention, yeah. you know, th- but when they are in um, on Dragonstone, you just jump in here whenever you want, Matt, but yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're still looking east, not necessarily west. Yeah, we kind of talked about this a little bit last, last week, um, how it kind of the doom of Lear kind of ends with leading into Aegon. And I still find that so, so bizarre because you, they're on Dragonstone for what? I believe like 200 years before Aegon's conquest and the doom of Valyria. It, it, they said it was a while. Um, wow. I can't remember. It's, it's, um, it's like a hundred some, a hundred, uh, Ooh, they did. They did say it though. Um, I have the, in the I have text, the, I have the chapter pulled up here so I can, yeah, I'll open my book too. But, um, <clears throat> they, because I remember I was trying to calculate um, the number of years between the first, you know, um, an Ar Targaryens, mm-hmm. you know, being the first one there. And then it talks about his line a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and who 
who came there. So again, this chapter, this is the um, yeah the uh, the Isle that would come as Dragonstone some two hundred years before the Doom. So there, so they, so that you know, it's like an outpost. That yeah, the, that the that the Targaryens had like had taken had taken over. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. So they get there twelve years before, twelve years before the Doom of Valyria, which they're calling. Let's see. So this, this says twelve years before the Doom of Valyria, which is one fourteen BC before the conquest. Mm-hmm. And I will say, Rook, Rook, uh, yeah, or go ahead, and then I'll, I'll reference something after you. Well, that. no, it just so that was why. That's why I said like a hundred something. I wasn't sure. So twelve yeah. years before the Doom of Valyria, well, one fourteen BC, Anir Targaryen sold his holdings in the freehold of the lands of the Long Summer and moved all of his wives' wealth, slaves, dragons, and siblings of kin and uh, children to Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think it's funny at the, uh, the very beginning of of this um, might be slightly different because I'm using like, I'm using like the ebook and so it's kind of set up just a little bit different where it talks about like the different maesters and like how like again in this world of ice and fire book this, they reference it this is another reference here how they talk about how this is referenced yeah. by maesters right and things like that so it you know it's it you still can't look at this book at like a hundred percent accuracy. Yes. Yeah. Which is, which is just interesting. And then like, they kind of talk about how they talk about the dating a little bit mm-hmm. and they talk about how it's like disputed and the Aegon's conquest may have actually been taken, taken place like one or two BC. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of interesting. If you think about like our dating system, like before Christ and then some people reference and say, uh, AD is after death, which is incorrect, which is, you know, Anno Domini, which means I believe is Latin for like in the year of our Lord or okay. something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, where actually like Jesus may have actually been born in like uh-huh. one or two BC. Right. Which, you know, just like depending on the way it is. But in this, I believe the way it is set up is that the um, AC is after the conquest. So yep. there is actually this like. Mm-hmm hand like two or three year span which is just not accounted for yeah so what's interesting is they believe most of what we hear after the conquest um the dates that we hear after this point there is a one to two year sort of like non during the conquest during the conquest but they they say at the end of this chapter that the maesters in old town when because you know Aegon has two coronations Mm -hmm. right um his first one is you know, right away, and it's like, do you call the crowning of like a couple of those those uh, Black Blackwater Bay right. houses? Is that the start, or is it when he's crowned? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at uh, at Old Town, they yeah. say since the Maesters were there. Yeah, right, right here. Uh, even the start date is a matter of some misconception. Many assume wrongly that the reign of King Aegon the First Targaryen began the day he landed at the mouth of Blackwater Rush beneath the three hills where the city of King's Landing eventually stood. Stood. Not so. The day of Aegon's landing was celebrated by the king and his descendants, but the conqueror actually dated the start of his reign from the day he was crowned and anointed in the starry sept of Old Town by the high septum of the faith. This coronation took place two years after Aegon's landing, well after all three of the major battles of the wars of the conquest had been fought and won. Thus, it can be seen that most of Aegon's actual conquering took place from 2 to 1 BC before mm-hmm. conquest. Before conquest, yeah. So that term conquest, you know, it's like they they're talking um when he is so they the, the maesters too since they were there and this is mm-hmm. an old town, they believe they're the ones who kind of write the history, right? right? So they're the ones who are going to say that yeah, we saw this, they were there and that's when they start the record books mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. based upon after his 
his conquest of the seven, six yeah. kingdoms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, let me go back up here to some of my notes and kind of see where I want to jump into this uh, with the... Okay, so it talks about some of their, the allies uh, to House Targaryen. Mm-hmm. Um, House um, uh, Valeron, Valer... Valerion, I think. Valerion, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Celtigars of okay. Claw Island. So uh, they're kind of allies to House Targaryen. And, and those are just, I believe, those are just kind of the ones that are like right around Dragonstone. Right, right? they're right. And I actually think House... I could be wrong about this, but just from what I was trying to gather here, like that House Valerion might have actually came with um, the Targaryens. Like, might have been like a lesser group or whatever. They 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 actually are related to um, the Targaryens in some mm-hmm. way. Because, like you a, said, theirs is a it's a it's the it's a seahorse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, they they were kind of. Uh, there, like you had said, it's either whatever 117 to 200 years, uh, w- where the Targaryens are on Dragonstone. So you would imagine they made some, yeah, some alliances around there, right? Yeah, yeah. House Valerian is an ancient and proud house with the blood of old Valeria in its veins. The Valerians left Valeria, the Valerians left Valeria before the Targaryens and settled on the island of Driftmark in the Narrow Sea. So, yeah, this is another thing you got to think about, mm-hmm. um, is. Remember, the first men came over, the mm-hmm. Andals came over, and then the right. Valyrians. You know, obviously, if there's Valyrian weapons and stuff coming over, mm-hmm. the, a lot of Valyrian yeah. you know, descendants are over here, too. So, Yeah, well, and, that, and that's one of those, the, the distinguish between, like, the Dragon Lords and then House Valyrian, which mm-hmm. was, like, maybe a smaller house. It wasn't necessarily one of those power. Not that, again, not that the Targaryens were any powerhouse, but they kind of distinguished them as, like, dragon lords mm-hmm. so i don't know but yeah you're right so dragonstone right south um southwest is drift mark and uh that's that's where they were at uh also macy's hook there um was was allied to them as well as claw island which is to the north of dragonstone right um so all of those are already you know that's like their bannermen if you want to mm-hmm. call them that right um for lack of a better term um so anywho this is interesting. Five dragons came to Dragonstone, and yep. Balerion, uh is the only one who actually, of the ones that came from the Freehold, is like survives, mm-hmm. is still there, right? Yeah, Balerion is actually the uh, going to be our cool connection. Connection. Mm-hmm. So we can wait and kind of do it, or we can kind of we can wait. We wait. can come back we'll to wait. it because yeah. really, you know, the other the only thing I have here to mention is that the the two dragons that his sisters ride um, are actually born there on Dragonstone. Yeah. So, which was interesting. So storm, stormborn. Yep. <laughs> well, they're not stormborn. They're just yeah. born on Dragonstone. Right. But um, so five dragons came to Dragonstone. Balerion. Okay. Cool. So now it starts to kind of talk about the you know current. Um, layout of the, of Westeros at the time. And mm-hmm. so it's it's seven quarrelsome, quarrelsome uh, kingdoms, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you've got, uh, they talk about Argilac, the Arrogant, the Storm King, mm-hmm. um, House Durandun. And yeah, Durand, is it Durandun or is it Dur- Durandun? I don't know. Durandun, Durandun, yeah. Whatever, I mean, um, super neat. And this guy is uh, just... He's arrogant, but he's also like battle worn. He's 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 got a lot of good victories under his belt. He's he's uh you know kind of he has this feud with uh, Heron the Black, mm-hmm. right um, of House Whore. So 
who is the king of the uh, isles and the rivers. So again, this ironborn um, heron, mm-hmm. you know, is, is is in control of the the, the riverlands this time, and so Argalak is is uh, is actually it says it calls him, you know, Argalak the arrogant, and I almost mm-hmm. like like I kind of get it, but he's a He's a badass character. Oh, I know. I mean, he's actually pretty cool. A lot of the characters we learn about in this chapter are pretty sick. Yeah, but I mean, like of them, like he seems one who I'm like, I kind of like, I, I, like I think you have a lot of respect for him, mm-hmm. um, even though, you know, just in his title calling him arrogant, I don't know. There's, that's what everybody else is calling, you know, calling him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just he's won a lot of victories and he's he's proved himself. He's older now. He's much older, and um, he's one of the kings. Yeah. One of the seven kings, you know, so, um, but anyways, there's, there's that whole bit there with, uh, and then you've got Heron the Black, as, as I said, is another, uh, king. And these, these two are kind of warring against one another. Um, so, okay. So what I have in my notes, I guess, Matt, is that, uh, he's, uh, Argalak tries to make an alliance, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, just with Aegon. And I, I don't know if they, you know, because the first bit of uh, conquering that happens, I kind of skipped over some of that. Do you have any notes on like the first little, because he kind of just conquers a couple um, lesser lords. Uh, yes. Sorry. Guys, this chapter is huge. So we're going to be kind of sh- just <laughs> s- yeah, 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 uh, yeah. shifting around here. Because um, I mean, I, he I, offers him. I believe he offers him one of his wives, doesn't he? A no king in Westeros, uh, Black Heron. Um, and so, no king in Westeros felt more threatened than Argilac, the Storm King, last of the Durand, an ancient, an aging warrior whose only heir was his maiden daughter. Thus, it was King Argilac who reached out to the Targaryens on Dragonstone, offering Lord Aegon his daughter in marriage with all the lands east of the God's Eye, from the Trident to Blackwater Rush, as her dowry. Mm-hmm. Aegon Targaryen spurned the Storm King's proposal. He already had two wives, which we'll get to them. Um, and the dower lands being offered had belonged to Harrenhal for more than a generation. They were not King Argilax, or not Argilax to give. Plainly, the aging Storm King meant to establish Targaryens along the Blackwater as a buffer between his own lands and those of Heron the Black. The Lord of Dragonstone countered with his own offer. He would take the dowry lands being offered if Argilax would also cede Macy's Hook and the woods and plains from the Blackwater south to the river Wendwater and the headwaters of the Mander. The pact would be sealed by the marriage of King Argilac's daughter to Oris Baratheon, mm-hmm. Lord Aegon's childhood friend and champion. These terms, Argilac the Arrogant rejected angrily. Oris Baratheon was a baseborn half bastard to Lord Aegon. And it was whispered that the Storm King that the Storm King would not dishonor his daughter by giving her hand to a bastard. This very suggestion enraged him. Argilac had the hands of Aegon's envoy cut off and returned to him in a box. These are the only hands of your bastard shall ever have of me, he wrote. Aegon made no reply. Instead, he summoned his friends, bannermen, and principal allies to attend him on Dragonstone. Their numbers were small. The Valyrians on Driftmark were sworn to House Targaryen, as were the Celtigars of Claw Isle. From Macy's Hook came Lord Bear Emmon of Sharppoint and Lord Macy of Stone uh, Stone Dance, both sworn to Storm's End, but with closer eye ties to Dragonstone. Lord Aegon and his sisters took counsel with them and vested their castle sept to pray to the Seven of Westeros as well, though they had never been 
before accounted as a pious man on the seventh day a cloud of ravens sorry i'm just reading here mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on the seventh day a cloud of ravens burst from the towers of dragonstone to bring lord aegon's word to the seven kingdoms of westeros the seven king uh, to the seven kings they flew the citadel of old town to the lords both great and small all carried the same message from this day forth there would be but one king in westeros those who bent the knee to aegon of house targaryen would keep their lands and titles those who took up arms against him would be thrown down humbled and destroyed mm-hmm. yep yeah 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 pretty big i well, mean i really like that i really like that one that little one little thing there yeah those who bent the knee mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yep <clears throat> well and he's true to his word you know mm-hmm. Aegon throughout this whole thing um is true to the ravens that he sent out you know so mm-hmm. people start to kind of catch on later on other kings are like oh yeah all right yeah i mean he's this guy was not joking around you know um but he kind of has to start with uh Blackwater Bay, the Blackwater Rush there, mm-hmm. and consolidating it. Um, and so, let me see here if I've got this backwards or not. But I think I think he does that pretty pretty quickly. Um, and then is able to... He has that first coronation, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Or has he already had that once he sent these ravens out? <sighs> Hold on. I don't uh, think so. I think, I think that might come later. Yeah, I believe that comes just later um so what he does so what he does is he um sorry this is where he he, he's basically said i'm about to conquer westeros and he and his two sisters all take off in different directions Mm -hmm. and so i believe it is after he takes the first place basically where the the the, what i believe is now known as the crown lands Mm -hmm. um is where he then comes back and establishes basically house Targaryen and then the Westeros people see that sigil and him wearing a crown and they say, okay, but then he still has a lot more conquering to do. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's actually that he, you know, um, gosh, he, he, he conquers a couple of these different, um, houses in here, like, uh, Rosby, Stokeworth, uh, Darkland. Mm-hmm. And he sets up Aegon's, um, what's it called? Aegon's fort. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A, Aegon Fort, which later, um, which later becomes King's Landing, right, right, becomes King's Landing, and so once he establishes that, I is when he establishes the fort, yeah, yeah, it is that's that's when he sort of has his first coronation mm-hmm. by his two sisters, yeah, right here. Um, just kind of, kind of sift through here. Having taken a dozen castles and secured the mouth of the Blackwater Rush on both sides of the river, he commanded the lords he had defeated to attend him. They, they then laid their swords at his feet, and Aegon raised them up and confirmed them and their lands and titles. So basically, he says, "No, I'm giving you your lands and titles back because you like swore fealty to his oldest supporters. He gave new honors. Damon Valerian, Lord of the Tides, was made Master of Ships, Master of Ships in command of the Royal Fleet." Tristan Massey, Lord of Stone Dance, was named Master of Laws. Crispin Celtigar, Master of Coin, and Oris Baratheon, he pro- proclaimed to be my shield, my stalwart, and my strong hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically where he's creating the hand of the king position. Thus, Baratheon is reckoned by the Maesters the first king's hand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Heraldic banners had long been a tradition um, amongst the lords of Westeros, but had such never been used by the dragon lords of Old Valyria. When Aegon's knights unfurled his great silken banner or battle standard with 
with a red three-headed dragon breathing fire upon a black field. The lords took it as a sign that he was now truly one of them, a worthy high king of Westeros. When Queen Visenya placed a Valyrian steel circlet studded with rubies on her brother's head, and Queen Rhaenys hailed him as Aegon, first of his name, king of all Westeros, and shield of his people. The dragons and dragons roared, the, and the lights and nords set up... No. And the lords and knights, excuse me, set up a cheer, but the small folk, the fishermen, and the field hands, and good wives shouted loudest of all. Mm-hmm. The seven kings, the Aegon. That's important. That is. That's super important. That the small folk were the ones who were cheering him the most. Mm-hmm. Because of this, because because he's, ba- he's, 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 basically, he's saying, like, I'm going to, like, if I'm, so <laughs> this is, so this is, like, where you kind of get into... Uh, to look like at modern day wars and things and things like that. And this is something that Daenerys runs into later mm-hmm. when Daenerys tries to take over like Slaver's Bay and she's dealing with all that stuff. Like we've always had it. We've always had slaves and you, you kind of see this, you know, like if you could look at say, I don't know the, the United States involvement in the middle East mm-hmm. where <laughs> we go over and you know, they have these such long rooted traditions and things like that. And regardless of whether they're right or wrong, when you just trying to instill something new does not always work. Right. So, yeah. you know, like, no, so that's Absolutely. why. So that's why here you have Aegon coming in. And I, I don't know if it doesn't say, but um, do you think that he just he did it? because he realized this is how I'll gather them? Or do you think he just did it as like, well, we'll just do it. And then it worked so well. It was like, okay. Well, I don't know. I think he, that's an interesting, that's a good question. It just, the idea is that he wanted to unite everyone right under one King. And, um, these, you know, it's like, look guys, I don't, I don't want to live over in your keep, except I've got my own keep. I'm sitting on my own, you know, King's landing, right. You know, Mm -hmm. Aegon fort. Um, and he, he knows you would need, regional you know mm-hmm. gov- governance or governors right to kind of take mm-hmm. control and help you know um you know with the governing of the seven kingdoms you know mm-hmm. so um one thing i wanted to do before we get too far into this though is to talk quickly about the uh Aegon and his two sisters yeah right okay um so he had two sisters um and he is supposed to marry Vicenia, which he does mm-hmm. his eldest sister uh, and she's actually older she's the oldest of the three yeah, I have I have all that kind of pulled up here. Yeah. Um, first, though, one quick thing, though. Uh, just uh, so this is just kind of talking about the Dragonstone and whatever. Uh, a common myth myth. This is before in the chapter. Um, a common myth oft heard amongst the ignorant claims that Aegon Targaryen had never set foot upon the soil of Westeros until the day he set sail to conquer it. But this claim cannot be true. Years before the voyage, the the painted table that had car- been carved and decorated in Lord Aegon's command, a massive slab of wood, some 50 feet long carved in the shape of Westeros and painted to show all the woods and rivers and towns and castles of the seven kingdoms. Plainly Aegon's interest in Westeros long predated the events that drove him to war. Um, so I just wanted to, I just saw that point and just wanted to make sure that, yeah, that is really cool. I mean, that's, that's, he's, he's been carving out this really super detailed map and this, you know, it's yeah, like a war so, room that he's created. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Okay. So here, um, so this is just kind of the difference. Sorry. I just want to make sure. Okay. Um, Aegon Targaryen. Uh, oh, sorry. 
Um, this would perhaps be an apt place to discuss the difference, the differing characters of Aegon Targaryen and his uh, and his sisters and queens. Visenya, eldest of the three siblings, was as much a warrior as Aegon himself. At, com- at, at comfortable in ringmail as in silk, she carried the Valyrian longsword, dark sister, mm-hmm. big deal. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. And was skilled in its use, having trained beside her brother since childhood. Though possessed of all, uh, though possessed all the silver, gold hair, and purple eyes of Valyria, hers was a harsh Austri- austere beauty. Even austere, though yeah. austere, yeah. Even those who loved her best found Visenya uh, stern, serious, unforgiving, and some said that she played with poisons and dabbled in dark sorceries. Ren, mm-hmm. uh, is it? Rainey's. Rainey's. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sorry. Rainey's, youngest of the three Targaryens, was all her sister was not. Playful, curious, impulsive, given to flights of fancy, no true warrior. Uh, Rainey's loved music, dancing, and poetry, and supported many a singer mummer and puppeteer yet it is said that rainy spent more time on dragonback than her brother and sister combined for all above she loved for all uh, for above all things she loved to fly she once was heard to say that before she died she meant to fly Maraxes across the somerset sea to see what lay upon its western shores whilst no one had ever questioned visenya's fealty to her brother slash husband rainy's surrounded herself with uh many young men and it was whispered, even entertained some in her bedchambers on nights when Aegon and her elder uh, was with her elder sister. Yet, despite these rumors, observers at court could not fail to note that the king spent more nights with Rainies for uh, or he spent ten nights with Rainies for every night he spent with Visenya. Aegon Targaryen himself, strangely, was much an enigma to his contemporaries as to us. Armed with the Valyrian uh, steel blade Blackfire. He was uh, counted amongst the greatest warriors of his age, yet he took no pleasure in feats of arms and never rode in tourney or melee. His mount was Balerion, the Black Dread, but he flew only to battle or to travel swiftly across land and sea. His commanding presence drew men to his banners, yet he had no close friends with the exception of Oris Baratheon, the companion of his youth. Women were drawn to him, but Aegon remembered ever faithful to his sisters. As king, he put great trust in his small council and his sisters, leaving much to the day-to-day governance of the realm to them. Yet he did not hesitate to take command when he found it necessary. Though he dealt harshly with rebels and traitors, he was open-handed with former foes who bent the knee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and so when you look at the those three, you know, characters there, and we're we're going to get more into once I think the next, like you said, the next chapter is basically his reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of talk about that. There's some interesting stuff. You know, it's neat to note that his older sister might have been into sorcery mm-hmm. and things like that, which is which is really neat. Um, and his younger sister is sort of this free spirit, which I think we said earlier. He kind of marries for uh, he's duty. You know. Um, you know, he's sort of like honor bound or whatever. He's supposed to marry his eldest sister. Mm-hmm. And so he does do that. But then, and it wasn't completely um, unnormal or, or uh, against, I don't know, custom or what have you, um, for him to take a second wife, you know, mm-hmm. that had been done before. Um, didn't happen often, I guess, but it wasn't like, okay, you know, it wasn't really that big of a deal. So he has two wives uh, and he really takes Rainey's because she's, it's more of a lust thing. Like she, she's just, I think that's who he spent most of his time with. And I believe I'm thinking ahead here. I think he has, does he have more of his children with her? I think. Oh, that's a good question. I think he does, but um, we'll get there. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, anyways, 
So it's really neat though. Just they're, they're very th- three really different personalities. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're loyal to one another. Family is, is super important. Keeping that bloodline, you know, pure is important to them as well. So, um, yeah. Oh, right. yes, he does. He has, he has one child with Vasanya and two child, two children with Rainies. Rainies. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to the sons of, oh yeah, actually. Yeah. Cause I read the sons of, yeah, of the dragon. Yeah, it's all coming back now. Yeah, Megor uh, and Anies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That's a, that's gonna be that's fun. We'll get into that. Okay, so um, after this sort of like gathering at uh, at Aegon Fort, they split up as as Matt said, and they uh, head in different directions. These the three heads to this dragon head in different uh, ways. So Rainey's heads, you know, south uh, with Oris Baratheon to face Argilac. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Stormlands, and um, Aegon himself is going to go. I think it's northwest uh, to uh, Harrenhal uh, mm-hmm. to face down Harren, and uh, Visenya is going to go. Uh, she takes the fleet, so mm-hmm. she goes with um, uh, the Master of Ships, and they head up to the Vale. Right, they're going to head up that way, and uh, basically, let's see here. Another plug for. Um, a really good source for you guys, Atlas of Fire, mm-hmm. um, Atlas of Ice and Fire blog. This guy uh, or gal, don't know, um, does an amazing job of breaking down the the battles and and what have you. So um, I'll kind of read a little bit of this, but um, they a- Aegon actually is surprised by uh, Heron's sons. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of come out of the woods and attack, take down a thousand or so of his men. And then at, uh, I think they had cover of night and cover of, of the forest. Uh, and so it was, it was, uh, at dawn, he was able to take Valerian to the sky mm-hmm. and, and find him. And he was able to kill, you know, Heron's sons. Uh, so that was, um, I think they win a battle at, uh, it's like the battle of the, of the reeds, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, battle of the reeds and then the battle of the, uh, wailing willows is I, I think, uh, he suffers, um, a defeat at the Wailing Willows, which uh, kind of sapped up some of his strength. Uh, and then he's able to kind of rest, though, um, in the Riverlands a little bit. Oh, and what was neat, the, the reason he's able to to rest is because, um, you know, Heron has tried to call the banners in the Riverlands there, and they really didn't rally to him, you know? Yeah. So there was some, what the, what the book calls vexations, uh, that sort of helped the Targaryens. You know, like when you call your banners... And you consolidate, uh, for example, down in Storm's End, pirates from the um, Stepstones end up coming over and kind of plaguing uh, Argilac. Mm-hmm. You know, so as Ors and Rainies are heading down there, it's it's uh, they're getting plagued by that. There's some hill, I don't know if they're hill tribes or people who came out of like the hills, right? Raidings, right? That happened from Dorne. I think it was Dornish raid- raidings that were happening uh, to the south. So that's. That's stuff that you've got to like. You've consolidated, called your banners, but you got to send people back because you've got villages and towns getting raided. Um, and then, you know, Heron's big thing was that um, the Tullys—they just mm-hmm. they they oppose him uh, actually, and so that gives Aegon the chance to kind of rest a little bit, you know. So mm-hmm. so that's neat. Now, when Vicinia goes north, I think it's the Battle of uh, it could be the Battle of Gulltown. Um, they are actually the master of ships is is uh, defeated and he's killed, 
And uh, so they face a little bit of a defeat there, but then she's able to sweep in with her dragon. And, uh, you know, we were watching an Alt-Shift-X video, and basically, you know, the role of the eye here is that uh, whenever there's there's a, a, a defeat on a, you know, ground forces or even footing, bring in the dragon and this mm-hmm. is over. You know, this party's over mm-hmm. type of thing. So, um, now, uh, Ors Baratheon and Princess uh, Rhaenys, when they march south on Storm's Inn, um, there's there's a lot that happens with this. This is a real kind of shows you how epic Ors Baratheon is mm-hmm. as a commander because you know you just heard that Rhaenys is not necessarily that big of a fighter. You know she's more of an she's in the music. She's loyal to her family. She loves to fly her dragon and, and probably like better than any of them at like flying and what have you and and you know raining down with some fire mm-hmm. um, where needed. But let's see if I have it here. Um, Atlas of Ice and Fire does a really good job of talking about how Ors kind of baits um, Argoloth into Argolac into um, attacking. You know, almost gets like makes him a little bit overconfident. It was remember it was rainy. Do you remember this part? It was like rainy. It was muddy. Yeah, right you here. Know. Right here. Yeah. Um, Thus, Argolac the arrogant led his knights against the Baratheon positions, but the slopes were steep and the rains had turned the ground soft and muddy. So the war horses <laughs> straggled and uh, foundered, and the charges lost all cohesion and momentum. Their storm lands feared uh, fared better when they s- the storm landers fa- fared better when they sent their spearmen up the hills on foot. Uh, blinded by the rain, the invaders did not see them climbing until it was too late. And the west uh, and the wet bowstrings of the archers made their bows useless. One hill fell, then another, and then a third, and then a final charge of the Storm King and his knights broke through the Baratheon center, only to come upon Queen Rhaenys and Maraxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's this um, there's this epic uh, showdown here mm-hmm. where Ors kind of makes his way. Uh, to Argolac. Mm-hmm. And then they they fight basically one-on-one, yeah. yeah. Stand aside, Baratheon commanded. He dismounted so as to meet the king on equal footing. He's talking to his like his men and offered the Storm King one last chance to yield. Argolac cursed him instead, and so they fought. The old warrior king with his stream, streaming white hair and Aegon's fierce black-bearded hand. Each man took a wound from the other, it is said, but in the end, the last of the Durandon got his wish and died with a sword in his hand and a curse on his lips. The death of their king took all the heart out of the Stormlanders. And at the word, as the word spread that Argolac had fallen, his lords and knights threw down their swords and fled. For a few days, it was feared that Storm's End might suffer the same fate, fate as Harrenhal, for Argolac's daughter, Argella, barred her gates at the approach of Oris Baratheon and the Targaryen host and declared herself the Storm Queen. Rather than bend the knee, the defenders of Storm's End would die to the last man. She promised when Queen Rhaenys flew Meraxes into the castle to parlay, you may take my castle, but you will win only bones and blood and ashes, she announced. But the soldiers of the garrison proved less eager to die. That night, they raised a peace banner, threw open the castle gates, and delivered and delivered Lady Argella gaggled, chained, and naked mm-hmm. to the... To the camp of Ors Baratheon. Right, and here's where I think, you know, Ors is, you know, again, I go back to Argolac being, like, this epic war hero who, you can call him arrogant, but, I mean, he he's defended his lands, you know. Um, Heron is more of the known for his cruelty. So, mm-hmm. I think if you were looking at the Seven Kingdoms right before the conquest, it's like, 
you know, this is a guy who won a lot of battles in his younger years. He's kind of got the Dorn, uh, Dorn to his south, and he's got um, Heron to his north. He's got a lot mm-hmm. to contend with. I think they have a lot of respect for him, and uh, and, and Ors definitely sees that same trait in his daughter, mm-hmm. and he clothes her. You know, he puts, he takes her, speaks to her kindly, and even like when he, I think even when he reflects on the fight that he had with her father. Can you imagine this guy's an old man? Could he have taken, you know, Ors Baratheon in his younger days? Possibly. It's one of those great questions that you always ask about, like, you know, Barristan Selmy in his prime. Could he uh, take Barristan Jamie? Selmy now. Okay. Oh, I know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, no. But, you know, it's the questions that you ask, right? You know, could, you know, Ned Stark, you always ask about the question, in their prime, who could they take? But this is one of those guys who was like Barristan Selmy, like, even late in age after his, they talked about his, uh, his dark mane of hair had turned, you know, snow white, you know, that he is uh, still is forced to be reckoned with. And he's mm-hmm. out there fighting. Um, I just think that's, that's just super cool. So he ends up taking the words. I mean, that, he, he must mm-hmm. really, you know, Ors must really um, had some mutual respect. Don't you think for this yeah. house? And that was one thing. That was one thing that kept look, kept, um, I kept finding weird because when I was like, when we were talking about like Storm's End and some of these other things in, our, in the past couple episodes mm-hmm. and I would click on like House Durandon and I was like, okay, like reading about this and I was like, wait, why is their sigil the same as the Baratheon mm-hmm. yep. sigil? Right, right. Yeah. And it's because the Baratheons didn't really have a sigil. They just, because they were bas- they're kind of like a bastard house. Right. Well, in, which in, is kind of interesting because uh-huh. now the only surviving, I guess, at least in the show, possibly in the books, but. But, you know, um, is Gendry, who is also a bastard. Right. There's a theme of bastardry like throughout the, the Baratheon line or whatever, which, yeah, you know, is 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 pretty neat. But, um, yeah, actually, you know, um, Argalax line is able to continue mm-hmm. through, you know, through uh, his conqueror, Ors, mm-hmm. you know, taking his daughter. And I think he just admired, like, her fight, you know, that she was going to hold up there and, like, you know, it's it's over. The battle's over. And but to see her still like I'll die defending here because that's just it was the honor or whatever, you know, that you know, whether that is an honorable thing or not is um the question. But I think he saw it as such and and, and really um admired it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought that was so cool actually. And it's one of the cooler parts of this. It's like a huge victory and it really I get that Rainey's and her dragon are a big player in this and and uh but they were rendered a little bit ineffective because of the mud um and uh you know the uh the rain right they were, actually he wasn't um um Rainey's wasn't able to take flight during that battle so mm-hmm. so that's pretty that's pretty huge um i i get that oris also had the high ground i believe um uh, which if you know anything about star wars it's super important <laughs> to have the high ground um sorry. whoops sorry you know so anyways uh, just just a cool battle and one that I want to take uh, a deeper look at later. Um, just think it's 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 really neat. Yeah. So and then they have they ha- uh, and then their line does continue. They have some kids. Um, they uh, one Davos Baratheon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now a couple other things that I uh, we talked about the vexations to these different kings and what was happening. Ha- what was happening uh, again? The Tullys, I said, uh, they're rising against Heron. There's a conversation between Heron and Aegon. Heron decides, you know, he's got uh, Heron Hall, this keep at the Isle of Faces that he is going to hold up in. So I kind of jumped ahead to the battle mm-hmm. that I thought was neat, but we have to go back to see what happened with Aegon. 
Um, well, and, and to finish up that last thought, Aegon is on a different front. Yeah. He owes a lot. He owes that whole victory Everybody kind of takes their own front. There's four, you know, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like Orr's really is the commander there and, like, takes... He uses Rainey's and her dragon as a pawn in that, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it sets it up, sets a nice little trap for that kind of baits them in, and then they are faced with a dragon on the ground. I think it's, I think she's on the mm-hmm. ground, um, you know, fighting and stuff. So now back to Heron though, um, and this conversation that takes place. Aegon shows up after a couple of these different battles, and uh, there's a um, they brought with them, I think, Maester, as they said, so like they actually have the conversation. So uh, let's see if I can find it real quick. Oh, okay. Each king had his banner bearer and his maester in attendance. So mm-hmm. the words that they exchanged are still remembered. And this is just an epic conversation and it's worth, you know, kind of reading. Um, and it, it kind of shows a lot about these two individuals and who Aegon mm-hmm. was and, and how confident he should have been and that he had these uh, dragons. And also, a uh, side note here, interesting that no one else before Aegon thought to conquer Westeros. You know, like no. they had those, they had five dragons and they didn't use them. You know, um, to the point where I just think that's interesting, but we can talk more about yeah. that later. Um, so Aegon says, yield now and you may remain as the Lord of the Iron Islands. And he only says Iron Islands yeah, because they're... because Tully's are already in rebellion, in, in rebellion, trying to take back the um, the Riverlands because this guy is an he's iron born, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I believe he's iron born um, from the Iron Islands. Uh, yield now and your sons will live to rule after you. I have 8,000 men outside your walls. Heron says, what is outside my walls is no concern to me. Those walls are strong and thick. But not so high as to keep out dragons. Dragons fly. I built in stone, said Heron. Stone does not burn. To which Aegon said, when the sun sets, your line shall end. I, mm-hmm. I just you talk about a period at the end of a sentence. Your line shall end. You know, I mean, it just it would. It's a it's a super epic conversation, and it's one of those things that you know when we think about like the show and what may come. That'd be super cool to kind of see play out in HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the TV. <laughs> yeah. Know? Oh, I know. Well, so, uh, ba- basically, right here. Um, he said that Heron spat and then, you know, returns to his castle um, and then he sends all the all these people up to, you know, like, all right, get ready to defend this castle. And Heron Hall, by the way, is like enormous. Oh, yeah. It is. It is a huge, huge um, castle. It's probably almost too big to be completely honest. Uh, as the last light of the sun faded, black um, black Heron's men stared into the gathering darkness, clutching their spears and crossbows. When no dragon appeared, some had thought that Aegon's um, that the. Some had thought that Aegon's threats had been hollow, but Aegon Targaryen took Balerion up high through the clouds, up and up until the dragon was no bigger than a fly upon the moon. Wow. Only then did he descend well inside the castle walls on wings as black as pitch. Balerion plunged through the night, and, and when the great towers of Harrenhal appeared beneath him, the dragon roared his fury and bathed them in black fire, shot through the, with swirls of red. Stone does not burn, Heron had boasted, but his castle was not made of stone alone. Wood and wool, hemp and straw, bread and salted beef and grain all took fire. Nor were Heron's iron men made of stone. Smoking, screaming, shouted in flames, they ran across the yards and tumbled from the white walks to die upon the ground below. And even uh, stone will crack and melt if the fire is hot enough. 
The river lords outside the castle walls said later that the towers of Harrenhal's glowed red against the night like five great candles, and like candles, they began to twist and melt and <laughs> as runnels of molten stone ran down their sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heron and his yeah, Heron and his last sons died in the fires that engulfed his monstrous fortress that night. Right. And Edmund, Edmund Tully is then, you know, Basically, come pledges yeah, yeah, the sword. Ne- the next day outside the smoking ruins of Harrenhal, King Aegon accepted the oath and fealty from Edmund Tully, Lord of Riverrun, and named him Lord Paramount of the Tried Out. The other river lords did homage as well, and Aegon uh, as to Aegon as king and to Edmund Tully as their liege lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then uh, right here, while the ashes had cooled enough to allow men to enter the castle safely, the swords of the fallen, many shattered or melted or twisted into ribbons of steel by Dragonfall, were gathered up and sent back to the Aegon Fort in wagons, which, you know, is basically what's used to create the Iron Throne. Right, yeah. And, you know, one thing um, I forgot to kind of mention, there were a couple players here in uh, these uh, kings mm-hmm. uh, who were trying to make alliances with Aegon. Mm-hmm. You know, and trying to pledge their daughters, mm-hmm. you know, as as uh, Ardalac did, and uh, and then you you get into because the next you know we've got two kingdoms essentially they're uh, conquered now, right? Um, and you have basically well, I guess you can kind of consider three if you consider like what the the crown lands, which is basically, you know. I think really the crown lands is just kind of like the Baratheons just kind of get that because I believe that that was part of the crown land or the. Mm-hmm. what you would call the Stormlands originally. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah, but, we, yeah, but we've got these two, you know, kings um, conquered. Two um, of the seven, yeah. And well, so, now three now are, are conquered. Or, excuse me, yeah, of the seven kingdoms. Yeah. So two, you're correct. Sorry. Two, yeah, yeah. But we're getting there. I mean, because yeah. he sets his sights, right, for... It's not... Um, it's, it's, I believe it's nine when like the show starts like at chapter one, there's essentially, if you you consider nine, there's like nine great houses because it gets yeah. kind of turned into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of those places are like a part of another, uh, you know, Lords wardens, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you, cause if you look at it today, it's seven kingdoms, but there's nine essentially great houses. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so with uh, with both the Riverlands and the Stormlands now under the control of Aegon the Dragon and his allies, the remaining kings of Westeros pl- um, saw plainly that their own turns were coming. So this is where uh, King Torin, you know, calls his banners. He's getting ready. Um, you've got a couple over the the queen queen um, queen Shara. Mm-hmm. Um, so Queen Shara is in in uh, Queen Shara Aaron is at the Eyrie in mm-hmm. the in in the Vale and. This is kind of neat. She actually tries to, like, I guess she was super beautiful, very, very fair. Um, has, she's the queen regent, though. Yeah, she has a son, yeah. Right. Okay, so we don't really, do we know what really happened to her um, her husband? Or it might have, yeah, if you look into that a little bit, there might have been something there. Um, but she sends a portrait of herself to try to, like, sway Aegon uh, into, you know, marrying her or um you know uh, provided that her son ronald uh, is named as his heir because <laughs> at the time you know Aegon doesn't have any sons well he, he's yeah because ronald aaron is, is is actually the king of the vale yes um yeah Sh- uh, shara aaron that's the queen unknown it's unknown Regent. yeah that's yeah. what I thought. it did, doesn't really say um 
So anyways, so that piece is, we'll put that on hold. So that, that, that I think is one of the la last, second to last kingdoms that is visited. Because now we kind of switch over to the two great Western kings. Mm -hmm. um, and they make these this common alliance. So you've got, uh, you've got uh, High Garden, uh, which, is, which is ruled by... Uh, House Gardener. House Gardener, yeah. Uh, King of the Reach. Mm -hmm. And uh, they make an alliance with House Lannister, um, you know, King of the Rock. Um, and they get together like 55,000 strong, you know, yeah, and one, of the, one of the, it says command of the mightiest host ever seen in, ever seen in Westeros. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is pretty, pretty epic here. This, this, this host and, uh, um, the, the battle scene itself here, I think there's probably too much to, to read. So we'll kind of summarize some of it, but it's, it's the, this is like a big chunk of the chapter, um, the field of fire. Mm -hmm. Is what this you know this battle is known as the Field of Fire, um, and they say it's arguably Aegon's greatest victory. And they say that because I think the the last victory that was super huge um, was won by Oris Baratheon. Mm -hmm. That's why I, I think that's such a big deal that yeah. he was able to yeah they had do that on his they own. had five men for every one of Aegon's it seemed, and the disparity in lords and knights was even greater. Uh, but uh, as we'll get to here, this is kind of the problem with this battle, and the land was wide and open. All grass and wheat as far as the eye could see. Ideal for heavy horse. Aegon Targaryen did not command the high ground as Ord Baratheon had at the last storm. The ground was firm, not muddy, nor were they, uh, nor were they troubled by rain. The day was cloudless, though windy. There had been no rain for more than a fortnight. Mm -hmm. Which uh, sounds like it's going to be a problem, Sir Ezra. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, so let's look at some of the commanders of this. You've got uh, King Aegon. Right, and uh, Queen Visenya, Queen Rhaenys, um, John, uh, they say Lord John uh, Mouton is there. Mm -hmm. uh, so just some of the people that were, you know, big players on, on House uh, Targaryen. And then the commanders under um, House Gardner and House Lannister, you've got uh, King, is it King Morn Gardner? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And then King Lauren Lannister, uh, Prince Edmund Gardner, which is important because like House Gardner is like all there. Mm -hmm. So you kind of wonder what happened to House Gardner. Right. Um, well, they all were there on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And and really, um, at the end of this battle, the survivors, people who did serve, it's just, it's just depending on where you're it's at. Kinda, yeah, you know, yeah, great. This is where some of the great houses get kind of set up. Right. Um, and then Lord Oakhart is there as well. And uh, so, yeah, let's see, let's get in here. So Aegon's strategy was kind of to like lure the enemy uh, cavalry into committing themselves and then use all three dragons to set the battlefield ablaze around and between the enemy formations. Um, and it's, it's super successful, as you said. Like, it's it's dry, and he saw that. He made note of it. It's open, wide open. He can see everything. Um, and that's another piece to this. Is like, I think they were trying to flank and surround this smaller force or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's, they've you know, the Targaryens had like a crescent shape set up here. Um, I think they give a little bit and they sort of like, they allow them to penetrate, yeah. you know, and then they're able to kind of like box them in, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The advantage of dragons also should not be, I think people are just like, oh, well, the dragons can just breathe fire. Right. And so it's just, it's just like you have that aspect, but it's also think about like the scouting, like nobody has, no, you can't, nobody has that advantage of being able up to be, to get above the battlefield and see where everyone is. Like that, you know, that's that's an aspect you would also have to think about in terms of like that's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, well, and yeah, you're right. Exactly. And also think about the aspect that like you don't want to rain down fire on your own men. Yeah. So, so while there is this battle going on, you've got to get in behind their forces and, and things like that. And uh, yeah, they really had cavalry. They had infantry. I don't know what archery they had. Could they bring down a, a dragon? I think there are people, like I think it says that Visenya, uh is wounded, mm-hmm. I think, in this. Um, a couple of them took arrows, you know, uh, and things like that. So, but um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty epic battle. And if you get a chance to to, to read the whole thing, uh, and it gives you kind of a play by play, it's it's worth reading. I don't think we want to re- read the whole thing right now for sake of time, but um, and it's named the Field of Fire because they set the field on fire mm-hmm. and surround them. They had nowhere to go, um, and uh, they waited till they overcommitted. Yeah. Yeah. Right here. I'll just uh, read this little quote here. Roaring and screaming urged on by horns and drums, the gardeners and Lannisters charged through a storm of arrows, uh, started a storm of arrows down on their foes, sweeping aside the Targaryen spearmen, shattering their ranks. But, uh, but by then Aegon and his sisters were in the air. Aegon flew above the ranks of his foes upon Balerion through a storm of spears and stones and arrows, swooping down repeatedly to bathe his foes in flame. Rainies and Visenya set fires upwind on the enemy and behind them. The dry grasses and strands of wheat went up at once. The winds fanned the flames and blew the smoke uh, into the faces of the advancing ranks of the two kings. The scent of fire sent their mounts into panic. As the smoke thickened, horse and rider alike were blinded. Their ranks began to break as walls of fire rose on every side of them. Lord Mouton's men safe. Uh, Safely upwind of the conflagration, waited with their bows and spears to make a short work of the burned and burning men who came stabbering into the inferno, the field of fire the battle was named after. Yeah. Yeah. More than 4,000 men died in the flames. Another uh, power uh, died. Tens of thousands were burnt. It's just, yeah. yeah. Well, and Aegon says that he lost less than like 100 men, mm-hmm. you know, and he was outnumbered. They had, you know, five for every one of his men. Uh, so it's a it's a huge uh, victory and I was right. Yeah, there. yeah. Queen Visenya took an arrow in the shoulder. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. She takes an she takes an arrow. Um, so right after that, it's it's battles won. The gardeners are wiped out, and he kind of knows that he, he you know um, his line is is essentially ending here. The king and prince were on the battlefield, and both are killed. And uh, Lauren Lannister though actually survives, and that's sort of a big deal, you know, because. He survives, and then they're able to kind of keep that name and that house seat because he puts his sword Unfortunately. Down. Unfortunately, Gosh. yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, good for them, I guess, right? You know, like mm-hmm. he, they survive and they get to keep their seat. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he was captured the next day. The King of the Rock laid his sword and crown at Aegon's feet, bent the knee, and did his homage. And Aegon, true to his promises, lifted the, his beaten foe back to his feet and confirmed him in the lands of, and lordship, naming him Lord of Castle Rock, Warden of the West, Lord Lawrence Bannerman followed his example and did so, um, and so too did many lords of the Reach who had survived the dragon fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. So now the next bit here is is interesting. He wants to move swiftly because mm-hmm. this is you know he's got now four kings defeated, mm-hmm. and he moves to Highgarden just to make sure he's already got um, you know a pledge from Lannister. They're going to go back. You've got control over your stuff. You're now warden of the West, um, and. But yeah, and uh, and so then he goes to Highgarden, and that's where you have uh, the Tyrells were there. And there's, you know, we were, I love alt ship decks always throwing in a little rabbit hole for us. The, the idea that they they specifically like stayed back and encouraged 
um, you yeah. know, the, the, the gardeners to go to war, you know, that might have been um, their way to, because they saw what had happened, you know, they, they saw what was happening around the realm. And they go there and they get a pledge, um, you know, basically right away, Tyrell gets all of the gardeners' lands and, mm-hmm. and he's good, you know. Yeah. So now, while there, thinking about trying to secure Old Town and, and going to deal with Hightower and stuff, he hears of another challenge mm-hmm. coming his way. And it's from the north. Pretty big challenge. So where there were 55,000 strong, the north is bringing about thirty to 35,000, mm-hmm. right? And bringing them down to the neck. And, um, you know, this is, this is uh, Torrin Stark. And, uh, and it's just uh, epic. So he's easy. he has to fly there and, and deal with, um, with, uh, with Torrin at the Trident. And he gets there, and it's sort of like um, a little bit of a standoff, right? I mean, they're they're kind of uh, feeling each other out. I think Torin has heard; he understands what had just happened and what had just taken place. And, and meanwhile, before all of the battles were taking place, he had assembled all of his banners and stuff. And it's, you know, um, pretty crazy. Now, there's a, a interesting piece here where um, Torin is is called the King Who Knelt. Mm-hmm. I was going to talk about Brandon Snow real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want me to jump into that? Yeah, jump into it. Yeah, so uh, during Aegon the First Targaryen's conquest, Aegon was preparing to march on Dorne. But when he received word that Torrin Stark was marching south with thirty thousand Northmen at his back, this is from the wiki. So, mm-hmm. um, Aegon led forty-five thousand troops to meet him at the Trident, and uh, and also his and his sister's dragons. Uh, at the Trident, Torrin took advance from his bannermen while considering what had happened to Harrenhal in the Field of Fire. His bastard brother, Brandon Snow, offered to cross the Trident alone at night to sneak into the Targaryen camp and assassinate the dragons while they slept. However, instead, Torrin set Brandon and his three maesters across the river to negotiate with Aegon, and the next day he knelt. Um, there is a theory, however. I'll shift X kind of reference this, and it's on the wiki here as well. In A Dance with Dragons, Bran Stark has several visions of the past through Winterfell's heart trees. One of these visions is of a pale, fierce, and dark-eyed young man who slices three branches off the weirwood and shapes them into arrows. It has been theorized that this may be Brandon Snow preparing to uh, arrows to kill the dragons of Aegon the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool, actually. Pretty cool that they, he, he might have had a way to actually kill the dragons. Right. You know? and Because uh, we, know we, know, we know later a scorpion bolt, or, you know, like a, a bastila, I believe right. is what we uh, can do it. Because it does, it does kill some of them, and that's what um, we see... We see in the show, Braun fires one at uh, Dracarys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and hit and hits hits Dracarys and brings him down. It doesn't kill him. And then, of course, we see the Night King kill one with an ice arrow. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he, you know, if there was any little little bit of uh, leverage that they went into that negotiation with. Even though they come out just wardens of the North, uh, I wonder if it was sort of like you know we weren't guaranteed. Like, we are going to run the north and, you know, no one is going to die. I mean, literally, he spares all of his troops. No one is, is is killed or whatever. But I wonder if they went in there, like, with this, we know how to kill your dragons, just so you know, just maybe. to be clear. Yeah. Uh, we have a way in which to do it. And maybe that confidence piece or whatever was just like, but we're willing. It's almost one of those things, like, we're willing to submit. We just want to rule the north and be yeah. left alone, et cetera. Um, but if you do try us, just know you're risking your dragon's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be an epic conversation to have heard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because it's interesting that that that, that Gur mentions that, the idea that uh, you know, 
his bastard possibly, brother could possibly, sneak in there. Yeah, possibly. So, yeah. So, anyways, that's the, that's the king who knelt, um, and uh, you know, spared the north. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to. So, okay. Um, so now, once again, Aegon and his queens um, parted company. Aegon turns south once more, marching towards Old Town. Um, and this is where uh, Visenya, for a second attempt at the Vale of uh, of Arryn, uh, she heads to um, the Vale, and then Rhaenys heads for Sunspear, or uh, Dorne. And Shara Arryn, uh, again, hearing everything that, that has happened, is, is up there um, in the Eyrie, and walled everything off. She's got garrisons, um, you know, at the at the bloody at the bloody gate, um, you know it's she she again probably thinks it's a place that's super hard to penetrate, etc. Um, and it's it's kind of a neat little you know uh, story. Visenya takes her dragon um, up high again and and lands right in the courtyard. Um, just I don't know if they don't really mention a whole lot of other troops, but she just goes there with her dragon and she has uh, Ronald Aaron in her lap when uh, you know. Um, Shara Aaron shows up and, you know, the boy is wanting to know, you know, says, mother, can I go flying with the lady? The boy King asked, no threats were spoken. No angry words were exchanged. The two Queens smiled at one another and exchanged courtesies instead. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty neat. I don't, I don't think, um, you know, uh, Shara Aaron ever really wanted to fight. Right. I think she, she sent two requests to kind of, you know, um, make peace and, and come to some terms or whatever, because she, she knew, I mean, you know, what perhaps she was facing. They're pretty close in proximity to Dragonstone. And I bet you they know quite a bit, uh, about the power of Valeria. Again, yeah. going back to the Andals showing up there at the fingers and different things. And, uh, you know, being those stories, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that came with them. So and the persecution that they may have faced or whatever. So that's pretty neat. Um, so yeah, they they explained some, they exchanged some of those pleasantries, and uh, you know they surrender uh, essentially. Swords are given by her garrison. Uh, she actually flies the the little king around, you know, uh, like three times, and he has a blast, I'm sure. And when they land again, he is no longer a king; he is yeah. a warden. You know, yeah. he is just a lord. Uh, so now, Rainey's does not have an easy time. No. Right, so you want to talk about this a little bit? Just her her trip down to Dorne. I mean, uh, yeah. it was a uh, you know, that's the that's the one because that that is next, and it's really kind of left. Um, it's not good, you know. Yeah, doesn't have a yeah. So Rainey's uh, finally the queen took flight to her uh, to uh, took went to Sunspear, the ancient seat of House Martell, where she found the princess of Dorne waiting in her abandoned castle. Mira Martell was 80 years of age, as the maesters tell us, and had ruled the Dornishmen for 60 of those years. She was very fat, blind, and almost bald. Her skin was swallow and saggy. Argalac the Arrogant had named her the Yellow Toad of Dorne, but neither age nor blindness had dulled her wits. I will not fight you, Princess Mira told, her, told Rhaenys, nor will I kneel to you. Dorne has no king. Tell your brother that. I shall, Rainey's reply, but when we come again, princess, the next time we will come with fire and blood. Mm-hmm. Your words, said Princess Mira, ours are unbowed, unbent, and unbroken. You may burn us, my lady, but you will not bend us, break us, nor make us bow. This is Dorne. You are not here. Return at your peril. Thus the queen parted, and Dorne remained unconquered. Yeah. And I guess we can kind of 
just mm-hmm. quickly skip ahead. Um, I haven't read, got to this, but it's, you know, just through some history reading and stuff like that, is that actually they do try to take Dorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she dies. Rainies. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's just, well, really what's neat about this whole piece is that the way in which, uh, I mean, come on, like learn, we mentioned in two different situations, two big battles, one with Oars, one with Aegon, where they they meet him on an open battlefield. Yeah. And Dorne's like, we're not doing that. Well, at least at least with at least with Oars Baratheon at Storm's End, it's kind of like, okay, well, the dragon can't hurt us because there's a storm. So right. they weren't really anticipating it. Right. No. Yeah. And, and right. But I still think uh, the conditions, I mean, maybe they knew more. It doesn't go into a lot of detail, but you're right. Maybe there was... Um, that was their reasoning. For, well, actually, you're right about that because they, um, some of them tried to stop Argalac from, you know, having that fight. And I think he decided. Now, they say he was just overconfident and arrogant and he just wanted to, yeah. you know, just have Adam. But I actually think maybe it would have been the, if you, you know, then again, this is a maester telling the story. Right. Who, you know, maybe the other side of it is that he knew the conditions were right and he decided to strike. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, it was even it was it kind of took it took out the dragon uh, and they and they just played the Targaryens played it well. Yeah. You know, um, lure him into it. Yeah. Lure him into it. Yeah. So and then the one on one combat, you never. that's the other that's the other part of that battle is what if he's killed Oris Baratheon? Mm-hmm. Does is then it over? Right. And it's really it, 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 that is a pivotal point. Right. Because yeah. when those two lords start to fight, the battle does seem to kind of quiet. Right. And yeah. his men are like looking to see if he wins and that will give them renewed energy. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but they lose the all will to fight really after their Lord is slain. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's the bit in Dorne and, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. They, they, uh, there is no King there. So there's mm-hmm. no King to be conquered. She's a princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat the way they, they only have the women and children out and, and, uh, everyone else is kind of, you know, they've taken to the Hills, they're hiding, uh, and they can't be seen. You know, this is mm-hmm. almost like a just a desert, desolate place. But you know it's populated. And even in the in the series, when um, um, oh gosh, who goes down there? With, uh, when they travel, some of the king's guard travels down to um, to Dorne. It just they talk about how where are the people? Almost like when they when you go north too. When Robert says the same thing, where are your people at? You know, both of those two uh, kingdoms seem kind of uh, you know desolate or or. Uh, Scarcely populated, but they are. There, there. There's a lot of people there. Now, uh, Aegon heads uh, to back to Old Town, and basically is there with um, Lord Hightower. The High Septon had locked himself in like the Starry Sept for seven days. Um, Septon and Hightower both kind of decide uh, after, and, and I think Hightower was super religious. It said that his son mm-hmm. was also uh, part of that um, the, the religious army that's in Old Town. And uh, their name's not coming to me right now, but, um, and they decide to open their gates, you know, because mm-hmm. they've seen everything that has happened. Um, Hightower just wants to remain, you know, the Lord, the overseer there. Um, and they hold a big coronation, a second yeah. coronation there in front of uh, many more, you know, lords were, you know, they show back up and, and their maesters there to record it. And it's, it's done by the High Septon. Um, so it's more official, unites everybody. Um, the only kingdom that's not really represented there is Dorne. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's Aegon's second, um, coronation, essentially. Did I miss anything? What, I'm sure I missed a lot, but I, th- I think that's most, I think that's mostly it. That's mostly it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
because then then it just I believe it goes into Aegon the first of his of his reign. Yeah, yeah and they talk about uh, scattered throughout there was the idea that the swords would be sent, you know, uh, down the river or back to um, Aegonfort, which will later be King's Landing, and they're going to make that Iron Throne mm-hmm. <laughs> with all of the swords and and you know. Yeah. Pretty neat. I, I think uh, the pictures and the book and stuff that's just a massive freaking, you mm-hmm. know, welded together throne of, of swords yeah. and iron. So, so, okay. Let's move on to cool connections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this episode, I thought we'd take just a deeper look into Balerion, otherwise known as the Black Dread, which was Aegon's dragon. Balerion called the Black Dread as one of the three great dragons of Aegon the First Targaryen and his sisters who were used to conquer most of Westeros during the War of the Conquest. Balerion dies of old age in 94 AC. So, I mean, he lives for a long time. Yeah. During the reign of King Jaehaerys I Targaryen, about 200 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, Balerion was named after the ancient god of the Valyrian Freehold. He was born in Valyria. Balerion was one of the five dragons Aenar Targaryen brought with him when he fled to Dragonstone to survive the doom of Valyria. Um, and then, obviously, we know... Aegon uses him in a lot of the wars that he fights over in Essos, and mm-hmm. then again uses them in the wars of the Seven Kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. So we talked about almost all of that. Uh, according to Song, at the end of the war, Balerion helped to forge the Iron Throne by melting the sword of Aegon's fallen yeah. enemies. Let's go. And do we know how Aegon Good dragon. Do we know how Aegon dies? How Aegon dies? Yeah. Um, I think we had said earlier that he it, it was... Um, wasn't it more old age? Again, the first uh, dies in thirty-seven AC at Dragonson. I mean, obviously, we're gonna get we're gonna get to his. Um, I believe he just gets. I just said. I think it just says he. I don't. Uh, he dies from a stroke at the age of sixty-four. Yeah. So just kind of so, natural. Yeah. So just kind. So just kind of a natural thing because then um, Balerion actually passes down to some of his. Mm-hmm. These things. Uh, Megor the first uses mm-hmm. it. Balerion was claimed by his son, Prince Megor, who had long covered his father's mount and had not claimed another dragon because he considered all others unworthy. Right. Yeah. Megor's After, crazy. Yeah. Janos Aaron imprisoned his brother, Lord Ronald, and declared himself independent of the Iron Throne. Megor rode the Black Dread to the Vale and put down his rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was exiled, Megor took. Bo- so. Uh, yeah, because Megor is crazy. Right. Uh, took Balerion with him to Pentos after his brother King Aenys the first died. Megor flew back to Westeros on Balerion's back to claim back the uh, back to claim the Iron Throne. In his reign as king, Megor used Balerion to destroy the Sept of Remembrance and many other battles against the Faith Militiant. Mm-hmm. In his battle beneath the God's Eye, Megor uses Balerion to kill his nephew Prince Aegon and his dragon Quicksilver. Yeah, that's pretty neat. That's in the story uh, Sons of the Dragon. And really, the idea is sons, the uh, sons of the fir- you know, first son, right? Mm-hmm. So Aenys son was supposed to be sort of like the the next in line, right? But I think things were out of control at that point, and they needed a strong Targaryen. Mm-hmm. And I believe Aegon's um, one of his wives, Lysenia, yeah. I think, is still alive. I think that's. Her son, I could be wrong. Yeah. Megor, I could be. I'll have to look all that up. So correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, calls him back, and like you know, yeah. like he's like the second son, I think. Yeah. And it's just kind of cool, you know. So comes back, and I mean, he's 
Meg or the cruel man. I mean, even yeah. with his own family, like there's some pretty cool stuff. We'll have to do a, a, a whole episode. Well, we will. We'll get to that. Son. Yeah, it, it comes up in here. But yeah. don't let me forget to tie in yeah. the dialogue. And that then, takes of course, place. when Fire and Blood comes out, we'll be oh, rehashing God, all this yeah. stuff again. So, yeah. uh, so anyways, and then Balerion passes to um, Viserys the first. The last writer of Balerion was Viserys the first Targaryen. Then still a prince. He he, uh, he was Balerion's rider at the time of his death in 94 AC. Viserys never claimed another dragon. It doesn't say how, how Balerion died, but I'm going to guess just old age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, along with other Targaryen dragon skulls, Balerion's huge skull used to hang in the wall in the Red Keep throne room after the war of the Usurper King, a.k.a. Robert's Rebellion. Robert had Balerion's skull removed and stored in a um, in a cellar along with the others. And then there's... Um, it says that there's a nice picture of it in this uh, book like that's a referenced in mm-hmm. the thing and then actually some people you know obviously the fans yeah the, the world of ice and fire like fan art is amazing it's awesome yeah um, just like or just ice just game of thrones the whole a song of ice and fire the fan art people do and then the wiki references it is sweet so i included two in our in our notes here um and then he's actually he's no he's referenced in just about every book mm-hmm. that exists every single mm-hmm. Uh, book Valerian the dragon is at least referenced at about almost about one point. I mean, he is the conqueror. Yeah, really, it really. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and then Daenerys. Uh, here's a quote here from Daenerys. This must be from a um, vision or something. She said, "His fire was as black as a scale. His wings so fast that the whole towns were swallowed up in their shadow as he passed overhead." And then Artisan Whitebeard, Blaren the Black Dread, was 200 years old when he died during the reign of Jaehaerys the Con- Consila. Consolidator. Um, he was so large he could swallow up. Uh, he could swallow an auroch whole. A dragon never stops growing, your grace, so long as he has food and freedom. Mm. Wow. Which is when they talk about later where the dragons are so small that because they chain them up and you know start to get yeah. rid of them. Yeah. Yep. He's one of the last you know greats. I mean, uh, epic, super cool. Isn't that the dragon? Is that is it in the show? Is that the, is that the skull that? Uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the one that they when that's it's down near the black cell or down. Yeah. You know, they, they've the, they've taken them down and put them and they, away. And Cersei says, "I know how to kill the dragons." I believe that's mm-hmm. the dragon skull. She shoots the scorpion yeah. bolt through. Yeah. Yep. Um. Let's see. Well, that scorpion bolt was through Rainy's dragon, but yeah. But so, I don't remember how exactly she, because Balerion just dies of old age, doesn't he? Yeah. Blair and the Dread. No, I'm talking about in the show. Remember yeah. remember the show when Cersei's telling... Yeah, she's, she's telling. Yeah. Yeah, you were wondering which dragon that was. Yeah. Oh, I still think that's Balerion. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Dread, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, Cersei uses a scorpion bolt to show Jamie. Oh, okay. oh I we thought you were saying we Balerion. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I thought you were saying Balerion was killed by one. No, no, no. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there it is, guys. That's that's a lot in Aegon's Conquest, uh, but uh, it's fun. There's more to get into. There's, there's more nitty-gritty detail and connections. You can pull some of those houses and families and... You know, we can make more connections. We will probably go have to go back and uh, reference it quite a bit as we move forward. But uh, that's it, man. Um, so now we're on to Cinder Raven. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to thank you guys for your support. Um, uh, appreciate you guys sending us Ravens. And we always do follow up Friday. So uh, check out the Facebook page. Uh, you can join us there. We kind of, if you had comments on today's episode or corrections, things you want us to look at or uh, further qu- uh, questions, whatever, you know, post them there. This is a. A raven from uh, Maester Jamie of the White Owl and Lady Cat of the Woodland Realm. And I, get the, I think I'll just I'll, I'll read it to you guys, kind of summarize a little bit as we go. It's a little bit long. But uh, Lady Cat of the Woodland Realm and I work together 
This was uh, sent to us by um, Jamie. So uh, we've been discussing at great length uh, this chapter. So this is the upcoming chapter, Danny, right? Is that mm-hmm. what's coming up next? Yes. Daenerys? Okay. Uh, specifically, the wedding night scene. We wanted to hear your thoughts about the major differences uh, with this scene between the book and the show as I'm sure you guys will already discuss in the podcast, uh, but we had some thoughts too. Lady Cat and I were very bothered by the way they portrayed this scene in the show. Uh, we could not understand why they had to change the scene into a rape scene uh, between Danny and Cal Drogo um, instead of the rather tender and loving scene that it is in the books. It is even said, but he never hurt her in the book. The only thing we could come up with uh, for the reason of the change is to show some growth from the uh, character of Danny. Yes, in both show and book, Danny's relationship with Cal Drogo allowed her to grow stronger and become more independent and not so tethered by fear of her brother. Uh, in the books, she is empowered by the love for Cal Drogo and her queenly power she held by his side. And thus, uh, it allows her to stand up to her brother and many other others thereafter. So this evolution happens regardless. Uh, there didn't need to be this extra struggle for Danny to reach it, in their opinion. Um, we also thought it was quite contradictory in the show because they do end, um, because they do end up loving each other quite deeply, and the evolution seems kind of odd um, and and uh, violated considering how they started out. Oftentimes in the series, we see many women having to succumb to sexual experiences because of arranged marriages. Some worse than others, thinking about Cersei and Robert, Sansa and Ramsay. Um, that one is extremely horrible. Even, um, you know, Catelyn and Ned at the beginning, uh, also being clear that all of these examples, except Sansa, were not rape, but were experiences that were not what, the, what these women really wanted. Um, those moments for them are real and terrifying for them, but followed suit with their character arc. Thus, it would have been nice for the one good scene, the one arranged marriage that actually turned out well. Um, they kind of they say that it could have right. They could have portrayed that differently. You know, differently, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, uh, yes, the Dothraki are rough people, but it showed another side of what they are capable of. They are still people who love and care, um, not some savages. So like Gurr has said, he does not like making people all evil or all good. Everyone has a little bit of both. The rape scene is entirely unnecessary in our opinion and um, lack of respect. Probably the only time in the show that we were disappointed in their choice of adaptation. Uh, But again, what are your guys' thoughts? I know this is PG-13 podcast, right? Uh, So we we won't talk. Uh, They weren't sure how much we could really talk about, you know, that so, mm-hmm. um, and do not be sorry that we, they wrote a book. Yeah, no, it's great. Thank you, um, Maester Jamie of the White Owl. That's what's what you do, right? Mm-hmm. You, you read and you know things. Uh, and Lady Cat of the Woodland Realm, we appreciate uh, the Raven. Uh, what do you think there, Matt? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first first of all, I would say that the reason they do it that way in the show is t- to, sh- I think it's, you know, like Daenerys is, I mean, everybody's character especially like the ones who have made it this far is they all have to, they all over, they all overcome something like tragic. And it seems like the characters who overcome the most tragedy are the ones who kind of succeed mm-hmm. the most. Yeah. Um, and so I think with Daenerys, it's to show her, she has the scene with one of the handmaidens that kind of teaches her like how to like, this is how you should, mm-hmm. you know, 
handle him yeah. handle handle Cal Drogo and I believe actually there is a line about that I'm trying to I'm not not like trying to find it because I didn't yeah. really think about it um, but when I was li- when I was re-listening to it at, uh, uh, the first book I kind of just heard it and I think it's just one line where she says like something about like her hand like it's that but in the show it's like a full scene sure yeah mm-hmm. and I think that's just a show like Daenerys is like uh, it's all about learning. Like, learning how to play <clears throat> the game yeah, Game of Thrones. I, I I would say for me, you know, I do. I, I totally that, get what they're saying here because, yeah. you know, in the books, her hardship is made more clear. When we see her in the film, or I'm sorry, in the in the TV, HBO series, looks like she's being treated well. Looks like she has a little bit of a rough relationship with her brother, but she's being taken care of in Pentos um, by Illyrio. And in the book, you get a little bit of a backstory, some more flashback as to the hardships and just wanting to go home and. You know, living on the street, the beggar king, and and all of that stuff. So you got that that was sort of her hardship and her trial, right? Um, and so that yeah. maybe wasn't maybe it didn't seem like you needed um, to have the, a continued hardship with Cal Drogo. She's already nervous and scared in that uh, of itself, uh, and it ends up being um, a good thing because of who she is, and she's just beautiful, and she's kind, and what have you, and that. She, she's in she's an influencer too yeah so okay i actually just found it or i found some of it so it's not in the book at least the chapter i'm reading which i think is danny three it's like chapter 23 mm-hmm. um it kind of talks here about uh even the nights before uh even the nights bought no relief cal drogo ignored her uh when they rode so this is talking about like riding around like he's just ignoring her and then it talks about like still same thing he kind of takes her from behind Dothraki fashion um, says for which Danny was grateful because um, she doesn't want to like kind of sit here like, and then like she kind of learns how to do it later. So still that still it still kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about from is it from the book or the show? This is the book. OK, this is the book. Gotcha. Um, uh, Danny knew she could not endure a moment no longer. She would kill herself rather than go on. She decided one night. Mm-hmm. So still, Danny is not super pleased with the way mm-hmm. it's it's going. Yeah, it's going. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they they did they pulled a line. I mean, I think it gets to the point where you know both show and book where where she learns and takes control. But I think it's just like they really yeah pulled that out and highlighted it in the show, and that's sort of the piece that is rubbing them the wrong way a little bit. And you're like, mm-hmm. ah, do we really need to go that far? You know? Yeah. Um, well, it, and so, yeah. And again, the other thing is like with, with the show is you have only so much time. So sometimes you have to kind of move some things around, change yeah. some things in order to kind of mm-hmm. speed things, speed things along. And so I think in the show, it makes kind of more sense to do it that way. Cause that way <clears> it shows like, cause think about the, think about the things leading up to it is where her brother basically sells her off. Mm-hmm. And then it's only a couple episodes later where we have the thing where uh, Viserys like slaps her and she's mm-hmm. like, if you slap me again, like I'm Khaleesi, I am, you right. know, like you will right. not do that again and all, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's why they did it is mostly just because of the show. But I mean, I agree with them. I mean, like she does end up loving Cal Drogo and then it doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. But a line that I've actually heard quite a lot in the books where you just replowing through it again is things about like the things we love or the things that like, you know, cause us the most problem or like that's kind of mm-hmm. what, and if you look at it in the show is, I mean, 
Jorah Mormont loves this woman that's his wife, and that's why he ends up, you know, stealing slaves so he can keep up with her lifestyle. Right. You know, Rob Stark loves this woman. You know, two different characters in the mm-hmm. in the book and the show, and that's ultimately what ends up being his his yeah. his downfall. Um, and then later, also when Danny starts to kind of love Dario Naharis. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's because of Cal Drogo and his dying that she realizes, like, I can't take you to Westeros with me. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry. Like, yeah, there's the love for the the throne that she mm-hmm. has to balance with uh, with that other, you know, passion and peace. You know, same with Cersei, uh, love for her children, what she the extents to which she would go, uh, and then also just once they're gone, the love for power and control. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a theme for sure throughout the series. So. But hey, um, honestly, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you a lot. Yeah, and we'll, we'll and we'll Lady talk Cat. about this a lot more next next week when we yeah. when we dive into this chapter for sure. Absolutely. So that's a that's a look ahead there. All right, guys, uh, it's time to man the wall. Um, if you would like, you know, head on over to our our Patreon uh, page, patreon.com forward slash bend the knee. Uh, I think after today, since we've gotten through some of this Aegon Conquest stuff, Matt and I can now start jumping into the uh, Black Council series that we'd like to do. Uh, book to show comparison, as we said, is going up. Uh, I think we have a friend coming in and out of town who we're going to watch that with, and mm-hmm. so we'll have a good time there. Uh, Meat, Meat, and Cheese is, uh, should be up, actually, by the time you've uh, listened to this. That should be there. new episode of that. Uh, so head over there and check that out. Uh, and I think that's about it. Mm-hmm. For, uh, for Man the Wall. Join us on Facebook.com uh, forward slash Bend the Knee Podcast uh, to join in all the discussions. You know, uh, when you talk to us there, I mean, you really do influence the show. That's the whole yeah, point. Uh, it's a book club, it's a community, so we like to hear your thoughts and kind of uh, help us provide some commentary and what have you. So, huge thanks to everybody who's already done that. The show is literally 10 times better because you guys participate and you Absolutely. guys make it happen. So, all right, man, I think it's time for our, uh, our, our farewell. Yeah, so we want to thank you. For playing the Game of Thrones, and our next episode we will be discussing Chapter Eleven, Danny Two. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, uh, like us, write a review, or leave a comment, or send us a Raven at btkcast at gmail We'll see you in a week, and remember, fire.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 